0: Hello, everybody. It is time to digest new material. We're super excited to be back with a new weekly live stream series. That's right. This is going to be weekly, not just about Fire and Blood, but Fire and Blood is the catalyst for all this. When it was released, we didn't realize it was going to be this good. We're going to talk about that and a lot of other things. And is here as well. Shea is the best, as you guys know. So... We're super excited, like I said, to talk about this, and um, I'm going to get started with a couple quick announcements, and then we'll dive right in. Yeah, while people filter in. So, like I said, every week we're going to do this, not just about Fire and Blood, but about its impact on A Song of Ice and Fire. We're going to focus on specifics within it, as well as what it means for the future of A Song of Ice and Fire, because, frankly, it means quite a bit. Um, Like I said, we didn't realize this was going to be so good. We thought it would be a lot more like World of Ice and Fire, isn't that right? Did you were you what were you expecting from this book?
1: I, I think I was expecting it to be very good, but I also thought World of Ice and Fire was very good. So I'm maybe not the most unbiased person. There,
0: <laughs> that's a good point. But, uh, we're not the best. Uh, we're not the most unbiased about Song of Ice and Fire history. That's a yeah. Good point.
1: We love the history, so I was, <laughs> was rapidly excited for the history. So
0: what I guess I mean is what? What did we expect other people's reactions to be? We, I don't think we expected other people to. Like I don't know that I much. thought it would
1: be number one on the New York Times bestseller list, which it was. So yeah, that's, that's true. true.
0: That is really cool. Yeah. So in case you didn't know that, now you do. It is. Doing really well as far as book sales, and uh, you know not, not that George needs the money, but it's nice <laughs> to see it, the popularity needs the of validation. Yeah, <laughs> good fake history. Good fake history, and so this is a good problem for us to have because when we started uh, covering the just the advanced information about Fire and Blood, as in the excerpt we told everybody we were thinking of expanding our patreon goal to the point of of doing a monthly live stream and we haven't reached that goal in fact we're going to scrap that goal because it kind of it's kind of silly to be trying to work up to a monthly live stream when we're already now doing a weekly live stream <laughs> so yeah so that we had to change gears on that because well we didn't expect fire and blood to be so well received so uh We we expect it to be more like the World of Ice and Fire, and like Ashaya said, that's not a bad thing at all. We loved we loved the World of Ice and Fire, but it was, if we're being critical, less readable. It was a little it's it's drier. I think that's fair to say. It was George's first attempt making his own fake history book, and I think he had some things in mind. You know, he originally had that plan to do the, you know, remember the spilled ink plan. He wanted to cover remember like that. He had all these ideas, (laughs) and. I think that writing it from a major point of view was a cool idea, but it it makes it drier, makes it less readable. So Fire and Blood is full of dialogue and really interesting characters and storylines. And so he, he modified his approach and I think that makes it a lot more digestible. So if you're on the fence for getting this book Uh, I hopefully this helps hopefully this pushes you more towards buying it because you know obviously we're gonna say good things about it No matter what cuz that's just how we are, but really these things. I'm saying I'm not exaggerating It really is this really is a lot more readable the the characters in it are interesting and It's it's just really well written Uh, So and I think a lot the widely the fandom has received it roughly the way I'm describing right now so How we're going to do this is this first roughly hour or so of this live stream, we're going to just do an overview. So if you're kind of spoiler conscious still, you're safe, because we're not going to get into too many details yet. After the first hour, and we will announce it clearly when we're done with that first hour, we're moving into spoiler territory. And then from then on, as in every Tuesday, always at 6 p.m. Eastern, 11 GMT, we're going to be diving into the details. Except for Christmas. That's (sighs) right. Tuesday is is Christmas this year, or Christmas is Tuesday this year, rather, <laughs> and we will be skipping that week. So it'll be this week, next week, and then not the week after, and then from then on, for the near future, we're going to revisit the weekly live stream when season eight comes, because during season eight we're going to pivot to covering the show for six to seven to eight weeks, and then back to Song of Ice and Fire, and uh, we'll so we'll revisit it then. We may have for you know maybe we'll get lucky and have Winds of winter news by then. Speaking of the Winds of Winter, this is going to be a test run for us. New material. Uh, None of us were podcasting hardly at all, except for maybe a podcast of Ice and Fire. maybe
1: definitely them. A
0: couple other shows, maybe, that were not fully Game of Thrones dedicated, that were podcasting before Dance of Dragons came out. So none of us in this broad fandom of A Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones coverage, has dealt with a new novel. We've dealt with these history books coming out. So it's a good problem to have. We don't know how we're going to do it. So this is kind of a test run for that. <laughs> we're going to figure <laughs> out how we're going to cover so much new material at once. And uh, yeah, so this is kind of a warm-up for that. Hopefully, it's a warm-up for something soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Ashay and I have also talked about having guests, frequent guests for these discussions because a lot of wide takes and wide uh, variety of people interpreting the information in different ways. That's what happens when it's new, right? You know, we haven't. this stuff isn't settled yet. We're, we're still mm-hmm. digesting it all. So, uh, you guys can give us feedback on who you would like to see as guests on the show, and we will do our best to uh, bring them in.
1: Mm, We're definitely going to have Lady Gwyn very soon.
0: That's right. Lady Gwyn signed up as well um, to be on an episode shortly. And if you guys didn't hear, congrats to Lady Gwyn and Yoke Boy for getting married. Yeah. How cool is that? And also, speaking of Radio Westeros, we are... All well underway with plans to do probably two—we're not sure yet—episodes on the Dance of the Dragons, full scripted, full production. It'll have touches, you know, it'll have touches of both History of Westeros and Radio Westeros, so it'll be a nice combo effort. And
1: Um, for everyone that's putting in super chats right now, which we've already gotten, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six. I I believe our plan is not to address those until the halfway mark. Is that right?
0: Unless they are not spoilery. If they're not, a bunch of these
1: aren't spoilery, and I put them in the document.
0: Okay, well, I'll get to those after the announcements. Then we'll be getting into it really soon. Cool. Um, Okay, two more announcements, and then we'll start with these questions and get into our overview. The first one is we have new rules for episode voting on our Patreon. Because we had so many part twos and part threes this year, we've <laughs> had uh, topics that grew larger than we thought they would. So from now on, if you're have, if you at a patron level that gives you a vote on future episodes, it's going to be, from now on, once we, and in fact, I'm going to release the vote shortly after this episode, you'll be getting that uh, email. We'll be letting you guys vote on all the rest of the episodes until the Winds of Winter comes out. So that'll be, uh, that's that's cool. You guys get more voting and get to decide what we do next. Whether you guys want us to finish Bloodraven, whether you want us to finish Nymeria, whether you want us to do something else entirely, that'll be up to the voters. So, ah, democracy in action, right? (laughs) Now, uh, also one last thing. We have been continuing with our Twitch streams. That's been a lot of fun. We are still co-playing, or co-playing, running a a house horror stream. That's H-O-A-R-E. The... The, we're, we're, um, I guess about ninety years into that campaign in terms of game time, and okay. it's every other Friday on Twitch. You can follow us on Twitch.com or Twitch.tv. They both work. slash History of Westeros. And
1: oh, do you want me to put that up on the screen? Yeah,
0: sure. Yeah, please put that up on the screen for me. And also, we have if you don't catch the the show on Twitch, if you don't catch the live stream on Twitch, like I said, every other Friday. The next one is not this Friday, but the one after. That will be, uh, you, you, we, we upload the replays to another channel that we have called Westeros History Gaming. It's on YouTube, it's really small. There aren't even hundred subscribers yet because it's only our uploads from the game streams. And uh, yeah, so check those out if you are so inclined and we'll be starting another game stream besides Crusader Kings within a week or two as well. And that will uh, probably be falling right after these Tuesday live streams. All right, enough of the announcements. Um, I do want to give a quick shout-out to our patron supporters who make all this possible, allow us to focus on so many different aspects of A Song of Ice and Fire fandom, and we really appreciate it. That includes Telenis to Talon, King of Gagassos, Rider of Talarius, the red dragon with scales, horns, and talons of midnight black, and Robert IV of House Ardeacor, Burn King of Blazewater Bay, Rider of Atroxus, the black dragon with bioluminescent spots like Smoldering Embers and a banded Blue Tail. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, Let's Mm -hmm. see. Let's take a look at some of these early questions that we got. From Stannis Baratheon. Hi Stannis. I didn't know you were uh, in our chat. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Was Westeros better off without the Targaryen conquest?
1: What a great question for Stannis to ask.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because from Stannis' mind, he would have preferred to be the one to unite Westeros, (laughs) right? He was like, I could have done a better job of uniting Westeros.
1: No, I don't think they were better off without it myself. I think they needed to be united. They needed road systems connecting them in order to... You know, I think they needed to band together eventually for this next long night, honestly. so
0: Yeah, I kind of agree. I think that, you know, there's always, it's it, it gets into real world politics in a sense. Um, yeah. Not not specifically, yeah. but conce- conceptually, right? Um, I think, so. I, but I tend to agree that overall a, a lot of suffering was prevented. Certainly it caused some suffering to happen. Although not as much as you might think to conquer a whole continent. Like a lot of the rulers just bent the knee. Yeah, like the true. veil and the north. A lot of
1: death, but yeah. But probably less death in the aftermath, though, because there's less inviting.
0: That's true. <laughs> you that's really can't very true. say for and, sure. And that's and that's and this is proven by how the wall, the watch started to decline after the conquest. And it's because they it was very common for the losers on, on in a war to get sent to the wall. But with the King's Peace, with Aegon saying, nah, you guys can't fight anymore. If you fight, I'm getting involved, then that meant a lot fewer people go into the wall and the fact that a lot fewer people going to the wall proves that there's a lot less war in, because of that so I think that's pretty important okay uh, next one is from Chixalub Rob that is Robert Fourth, our day core, our dragon rider he says hey guys love what you do I'll catch up on the stream tomorrow and remember the snow in Winterfell that's right we're still giving shout outs to Mazla even though uh, he, um, Mark has passed. passed but we are moving that shout out to the end but it's still going to stay in there permanently
1: <laughs> Aziz wants a one-world government. <laughs> <I think so.
0: laughs> Only if it's governed by dragons, yeah. That's <laughs> That's where I break from the real-world new global order situation here. <laughs> question from Aker Frey. Uh, this question has nothing to do with Irish wristwatches. Are you slipping, my friends? No, <laughs> just kidding. He, of course, Acre Frey is our man who invented the... Or not invented, but suggested the Irish wristwatch... Uh, what do we call that? Recurring theme that we have? Recurring uh, joke? I'm getting pretty good at saying that. (laughs) (laughs) With the release of Fire and Blood, are you more or less excited about when you think the Winds of Winter will likely be released? Hey, fantastic question, Acre Frey, because that is something that I wanted to address. Uh, This concept was introduced to me by our friend, Brendan Beefish. He believes, and I agree with him, that writing *Fire and Blood* and *The World of Ice and Fire* is going to help George write *The Winds of Winter*.
1: Yeah, how yeah. could it not?
0: Yeah, right. It gets all it gets all these thoughts organized. Like, yeah, it
1: gets them organized, gets his creative juices flowing. He, yeah, it just it's, yeah.
0: Yeah, like it's almost like it's almost like an outline. Like it's not an outline, but it's almost <laughs> like he outlined the history better so that he could make use of it and and not have to. Well, here's another way to put it. Originally, George planned for the series to be a trilogy. If you look, for example, I was looking today to see specifically. Megor the Cruel. What his mentions were early in the series, all the early mentions of Megor are about him killing the builders of the Red Keep. Mm. Like the first three times he's mentioned, mm. other than just Danny saying, "I'm the blood of Megor the Cruel," like without uh-huh. mentioning any any context uh-huh. to that. Um, so he he with the trilogy he needed less backstory. Right, he just there was just less room for it, and less was necessary. But he's expanded the story so much; it went from three books to seven. That means way more historical foreshadowing is needed, way more history. It gets to the point where he can't just throw historical references in there and not worry about it. He has to make sure he's he's not overlapping anything, or not, you know, creating uh, canon problems where he contradicts himself. You know, but with a, with a smaller backstory, he doesn't have to worry about that. So, yeah, I think that's pretty huge. I think it's. Uh, and and it's really annoying to see people complain at George now we all want the winds of winter it's really annoying people say hey why are you wasting your time on this other stuff when you could be working on the winds of winter when when i when we yeah. think that it's it is kind of not directly working on the Winds of Winter, but it's going to make make it go faster.
1: I mean, it's like I have a chore around my house that I have to get done, but I'm really burnt out on doing that chore, so I switch gears and do something else. It still helps me clean my house, but I just switch gears and it helps get me refreshed.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point, too. It's easier for him to write this. It's it's like, okay, I want to, like you said, it gets his creative juices flowing. If he's like, if he starts writing and he gets an idea... You know, he while writing the history, he can pivot to A Song of Ice and Fire and, and you know, it'll inspire him yeah. to finish a certain chapter or a certain arc. So, yeah, so that's really cool. Uh, f- hey, the super chat from Thomas Pappas, mm-hmm. our uh, aka Hey Mahelminth. Mm-hmm. Happy belated anniversary to Ashea and Aziz and happy fire and blood day to all the H.O.W. fans out there. Looking forward to this. Well, thanks, Tommy. Um, we're we're, we're try- I'm trying to push yet another nickname for y'all. I think this one might stick. I tried with Watchiners, and that just didn't. Uh, you know, I like
1: I like Westorians more. Westorians, Took me a second yeah. to get that you were combining Westerosi and um, historians. Yeah. And so hopefully,
0: you guys like Westorians. Seconds, <laughs> if not, I'll just. Uh, just Valar back to the drawing yeah. board is, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's pretty good. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll, we'll, I'm going to start calling you all West Westorians and hopefully it sticks Okay, uh, another from, one. from Tony three, four, eight, three, just for doing this stream. Fire and blood is awesome. Thank you, Tony. Uh, we agree and mm-hmm. we appreciate it.
1: Got one from Stephen Stark here, who said, Ashay is the best, it is known. Good to see you today, Your Grace. It's nice <laughs> to see you too. Happy belated birthday again. I know I wished it to you on the day of,
0: but nice <laughs> to say
1: it out loud.
0: That's right. He is the Hand of the Queen, so it's it's appropriate for him to uh, uh-huh. lead the charge <laughs> mm-hmm. on the Ashay is the best, mm-hmm. which is uh, a true a true fact. Richard Tabor, Super Chat. I'm sure you guys will clutch this stream. This is Brown Dude on Twitch, by the way. Looking forward to the streams when I can catch them and the VODs when I can't. That's right. Of course, these are always going to be posted on our podcast stream afterwards, usually within twenty four hours. And uh, yeah, so that's that. Um, mm, and finally then,
1: from the prince that wasn't promised. No <laughs> question. Just love you guys.
0: Well, we love you too, even though you weren't promised. <laughs> and that's the what that, and now we're caught
1: back up. Cool. No spoilers in any of those super chats. Good job, you guys.
0: Hope everybody has a nice beverage. I, I'm drinking out of my Ice and Fire con mm-hmm. a water bottle, but it is not water. It is coffee. You guys <laughs> knew I. You guys knew. That's not a bottle
1: either way. Aziz. You're
0: right. What is this? Is a water. It's a
1: coffee thermos mug. <laughs> yeah, it's a water thermos. Know. It's
0: now a coffee thermos. There. I've uh, but, yes. changed its purpose. Mm. Okay, so I, I think that um, we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna start with an overview. Mm-hmm. And we'll carry this on for maybe another 45 minutes and then we'll start taking more specific questions, start getting into details, start getting into theories. So again, if you're spoiler conscious, no worries. And we'll, t- we'll try to stick to the early parts of the book because I know you, a lot of you guys, well, you have lives. You can't just sit down and read this book, spend all day on it. So a lot of people have read a third or half or etc. So not everyone's finished. So I want to keep that in mind too. So we're going to try to focus even when we do get into details, we're going to try to keep it to the early part of the book. Now we knew the artwork in this book was going to be good. They never screw that up. G- George is fairly particular about it, and he's really good at it. He's good at uh, picking artists, and you know he's got a lot of a lot of power in the industry, <laughs> being as as successful mm-hmm. as he is. So uh, we have the style is really neat. You get black and white art this time instead of the color of the World of Ice and Fire, mm. and I think that's really neat. It's different. You get uh, some really Cool takes on a lot of different important figures. We have this piece here that I think is particularly awesome. We have Alsan lighting on the High Tower, and uh, yeah, how cool is that? I love it.
1: Mm-hmm. This is of course by Doug Wheatley, who did all the art for this book, and yeah, I love this image. I love the idea of this of a dragon on top of the High Tower.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, it's really it's. It's symbolic in ways that I haven't exactly pinned down yet. Yeah, <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. that's that's a thing that we're we're gonna, there's going to be things about this book that we aren't going to figure out for a month or two or mm-hmm. three or or what have you, and that's just the way it goes with really detailed, complicated, layered books. That's what we love about this series, and you know, anytime we get something big and new like this, it's gonna it's gonna last for a while. So yeah, so more on why we like this book. Um, More on why I think it's more readable than The World of Ice and Fire. First of all, The World of Ice and Fire had some limitations. It originally had... It was only going to be 50,000 words. It ended up much, much bigger than things like 180. But they originally had a plan to condense it. And so what George wrote was too much for it. And so a lot of what we got in Fire and Blood is this, quote-unquote, too much, the extra. (laughs) But he also went back and added some things. Um, And one of the proofs, I think... Uh, uh, of what I said about how this book is more readable, is that there's some theories coming up, people are discussing things in Fire and Blood that were in the world of Ice and Fire. Now, I'm not saying people weren't aware these things were in the world of Ice and Fire. This isn't some like, oh, we already knew about that theory. Uh, No, I don't mean it like that at all. I just mean that because this book is more entertaining, people are engaging with it more, and these theories are getting discussed more. It isn't that people didn't know about them already. Maybe it is in some cases. Um, for example, there's uh, people are talking about this—the Aegon, the letter uh, from Daria from Dorne uh, with regard to Rainy's being shot down over, mm-hmm. over the hellhole. We'll talk about that a little later in the episode. But that, I don't think we got anything new on that in Fire and Blood. It was just kind of yeah. restated. Yeah. Pretty sure the detail is exactly the same in the World of Yet, nonetheless, it's a great episode. It's one of the most interesting things about the Conquest, and, or the post-Conquest, <laughs> and that makes it worthwhile makes it great to theorize makes it fun makes it a good mystery so we will talk about that Hmm. um another thing um we we noticed that there's a lot more women and alternative relationships in this book and i think that some will call that pandering but i think that argument fails for one thing there's still a huge amount of women being pushed out of power or looked down on or kidnapped. There's a ton of rape. If it was pandering, it
1: would be a lot more explicit.
0: Yeah, right? It's It's, like
1: pretty, you know, pretty vague and not very clear. Like not everyone would even grasp that or would call it rumor. And there's literally like... Three, four characters like that. Yeah, I, <laughs> so I agree. Really, big, small minority.
0: Yeah, so I think it's yeah. I think that I think that's a silly argument, but I wanted to address it because um, a lot of you will see it out there, and it maybe it helps for you to hear a good counter argument to it. Maybe you didn't need to hear that, but it, I like to. Yeah, like, who is is going to be
1: shocked or think it's pandering that the Targaryens in particular, who did whatever the hell they wanted, sometimes slept with people of the same gender. Oh my god, like, they sleep with their sisters and brothers,
0: I think they just do whatever the hell they want, and as
1: Reyna is one of them, she's like, I'll take my favorites and they'll ride dragons with me.
0: Yeah, so George didn't change, like, his view on human nature, he changed what was being written down about human nature. It's a really interesting meta commentary on how history is written in the real world. Because real world history, no matter what culture you're in, was written down you know, you've know you heard this, the phrase, history is written by the winners, but it goes beyond that. History isn't, isn't always about winning and losing. History is mostly about the current regime and what they do with power. Wars are only a small part of that. Wars are often how they get power. But So when you say the winners, it's not just the winning of the war. It's everything they do after they've won that war. And generally the winners in this, in this case, the people writing down history, are generally upper middle class or rich men of the dominant race of wherever they are, whether it's Chinese, whether it's American, whether it's a different European race, whether it's anything, wherever it is, Egyptian, whatever. Uh, so that said
1: Eve George does write about numerous books in here that, I mean we, it's not like he wrote these books and they're not released but <laughs> they exist in world there are books about women's history here which is something that people have criticized his series um, a lot for because in real in the real world there are diaries written by you know higher class women there are books written about these you know important women yeah. and so for it uh, to not exist for the maesters just to not write about women is not actually historic, historically accurate at all um, so we do get some things like we have this um, Archmaester Abalon who wrote When Women Ruled, Ladies of the Aftermath which is just, there were so many women ruling after the Dance of the Dragons that he, the maesters couldn't just ignore this as a, something to write about. Yeah. But then we also have that Corianne Wilde, like that's a book that isn't like a scholarly book but it's about a woman.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, and it's really good, it's it's a really good take on, on how real world history is recorded in a lot of ways, and like you said these things do exist, these diaries, these writings of women, they just weren't official a lot of times they weren't labeled as official text or official record even though they're just as valid as anything else written down by contemporary source for the for the most part but they but the people in power would you know prefer to call the official histories the quote-unquote the things that they commissioned uh or people that wrote it were not going to write negative things about the current regime you know uh so things like that there's a lot of things that People who are fans of real world history are aware of that's kind of a flaw in the way history has always been recorded. And George is sort of speaking to that. Mm-hmm. Basically, Gildane is, is a lot more woke, you could say. <laughs> no, yeah, I wouldn't say sure. that. No, he's wiser. Yeah, he's just as smart He's a, smarter. a little wiser, yeah. yeah.
2: Uh,
0: um,
1: he's, he's at least read a lot. He's well read and he, he knows about a lot of books.
0: <laughs> that's right. So, And some examples of this. In other places, George goes on about he talks about the difference between Mushrooms' account versus Septon Eustace's account versus.
1: I just want to bring up, by the way, that LML brings up that all the Maesters have been pulling the pud to that book, to the <laughs> Corianne Wild book, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. A caution for young girls. Yeah, they don't want to. Uh, they don't want to give says, it official sanctioning. Yeah, he says, but you, you totally notice Guilden knows the book backwards and forwards. You're <laughs> right. He does know it quite well. I mean, it sounds like a fascinating read, honestly.
0: <laughs> it does. Uh, yeah, Especially because
1: wanna... you get to like compare the differences. Among the stories, just like other things, you yeah. really would want to like crack and yeah, crack that, that code.
0: That whole like bit is, is really entertaining, but it's also making this same meta commentary about history, about all these different sources, and how like some of these can't be right, but some of them you know there's probably a grain of truth and some of these things, etc. Uh, and he go and he talks about it with the um, with the church and the maesters, and that's another thing for real real world as well. He talks about how most of the history, it isn't just the opinions of men. It's literally men who are employed as scribes for most most of the part. And these and he George talks about how some of these scribes would just change things. Yeah. They would just be like, I don't like that sentence. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and you don't. These guys aren't feminists, almost without, with, with, for, almost without exception. You know, yeah. we're talking about medieval scribes, so yeah. they're not going to just like be pro woman. They're more likely to erase something about a woman or erase something about sexuality than they are to add it. So yeah. over time, that's going to add up and have a you know a domino effect over time of her history of of what people perceive. <laughs> um, but there's also more in world changes, right? Like George did. Like I, I, there was no new pates. <laughs> <laughs> there was Pates that we already knew about, but Pate was like the common name of Westeros. And there's mm-hmm. like, he didn't give us any new Pates, <laughs> but he gave us three new Beans, mm-hmm. three characters named Beans. Maybe Bean is the new Pate. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's the lesson here. My uh, favorite was Black Bean, the character named Black Bean. Oh, yeah. Mm, is that yeah. Your,
1: that's your favorite Bean? Yeah. <laughs>
0: No, I don't think that's that's my favorite name for a be- nickname for a guy named Bean. Okay. My favorite Bean was Dick Bean.
1: Uh, how could that not be your favorite name for? a Bean?
0: Yeah, this Bean shames us all. It's too good. Also, there was a, also there's a word pun in the audio version, by the way. So, you guys, if you want to get if if I, if if we've pitched you successfully on this book and you haven't gotten it yet, go to historywesteros.com. We have links up there. Get it in audio or on uh, Kindle or in the physical copy. It's really nice in all three versions. Roy Dotrice has passed, RIP Roy, so Simon Vance is reading it, and Simon Vance is very solid. He doesn't, he's not as fancy with his voices, his voice doesn't have quite as much gravity, in my opinion, but he's better with his pronunciations and his consistency, which I know is a a, a frequent complaint about Roy. Not from me, but I recognize it and don't argue with that complaint. Uh, So, and and Simon Vance made almost a bit of a pun in that Dick Bean incident. Uh, He says... Because Bean has a line, he says, "I've been a king's man yeah. since yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was born. I've been." Uh... Yeah,
1: that's a pun in the written version too.
0: Yeah, I just I just didn't catch it okay. till it was pronounced.
1: Yeah, I he, says, ah, bean. I was like, he gave I was like, it an oh, accent. Smooth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have caught that, but I didn't.
1: Uh, someone called Richard Tabor says here, Ode to Sean Bean. <laughs> 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 all these Bean references. Yeah,
0: you know it could be because most of these beans die.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: that's funny. I had
1: not thought do, I wondered, do they all die? Do, do we see them all
0: die? I don't remember what happened to Black Bean. I think okay. he. I don't know if his fate was mentioned, but yeah, Dick Bean dies. Like he's remember it yeah. says he died instantly. That uh, like, might
1: be a good catch actually. <laughs> I'll, I'll be curious. You no. Know, that uh, is a
0: good catch. We'll have to investigate. It's very random
1: team. to have all these beans. Be on
0: the lookout for future beans. <laughs> beans are meant to be eaten. Uh, so there is... so the, the, On the, on the uh, topic of real-life retconning. Now, to be clear, a retcon isn't a real-life thing. <laughs> it's only something that can exist in fiction. And what it means is it's it's retroactive continuity is what it's short mm-hmm. for. And it's when you when an author just changes the truth of what something usually because they've screwed up they've made a mistake they've done they've contradicted themselves and so they have to fix it george has only done this a few times he's very mo- and, and and none of these for the most part were significant like one of them was calling renley blue-eyed and then calling renley green-eyed and he mm-hmm. and he fixed that by calling renley blue-green-eyed mm-hmm. from that going forward I mean, I tell
1: you, I, most people in my life, you, you'd ask me what color their eyes are, and I'd be like, blue, green?
0: Like, oh, brown, blue, like, brown, blue, brown, blue,
1: whatever. Whatever, I'll say whatever, light colored.
0: <laughs> so he, so when these scribes, but when these scribes are changing history by just deciding I don't like that passage and I'm going to change it, they are kind mm-hmm. of are retconning history in a sense. Mm-hmm. Now, we actually got that in the Targaryen family tree, Now, I'm not going to go into detail just yet, because I want you all to read that first. But, to to read the significance of it first. But I will tell you what the change was, and then let you, because if you aren't aware of the change, when you read Fire and Blood, you're not going to know it was a change, and the significance of it might go over your head. Uh, It might go over your head anyway, because it's pretty sneaky. But, you have very little chance of catching it without being aware of this retcon. Mm -hmm. Now, or at least, it adds more gravity to the the Mm -hmm. situation. Okay, so the retcon was George changed Jaharis and Alessand's children to the point where the first child to, to live, because to, the first child they had died right away, uh, like died in the cradle. The second child uh, did not die in the cradle, and her name is Daenerys. Uh, her name was not Daenerys prior to the publication of Fire and Blood. It was changed about six months ago in an advance release. The, he released the, the, the family tree ahead of time. And he made that change. So be very aware of that when you're reading it because it's pretty significant. Pay attention to the other names <laughs> of, of the children mm-hmm. and what order they come in.
2: <laughs> yes,
0: I've, I've said too much. No. No, that's good. It's really interesting. Um, I think it's it might be even too on the nose. So be very, very aware of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk a little more in detail about it or a lot in detail about it after the first hour is done. Um, be, especially if people want us to. Otherwise, we'll, we'll bring it back some other time. <laughs> now, uh, another thing George brings up over an, like, an overarching theme is the perils of incest. I think he, he references it more. Yeah. Uh, and it occurred to me to kind of look up what kept bringing the incest tradition back in the Targaryen yeah. family tree. And a lot of times it was love. now yeah. and Alice, they were they were determined to not let Harris and Alysanne get together and they were like, <laughs> nah, we're in love. Uh-huh. And you can't stop us. Same thing with, uh, you know, uh, What's his face? Uh, Duncan, uh, Duncan the small, and not Duncan the small. He wasn't. He wasn't. No. Uh, that wasn't an incest relationship. Sorry, his younger yeah. brother Jaharis and Shara. They're they uh, his mm-hmm. his brother and sister.
1: Those Jahari.
0: <laughs> yeah, those Jahari. <laughs> <laughs> love
1: their incest. <laughs> and yeah, Jaharis first, and
0: the second, and then we have, uh, Sarris the first. It wasn't incest, but his. You know, his uh
1: Nina brings up it wasn't with Aegon the Fourth and Nerys, of course, although you could make the argument that you know there was love between Nerys and Aemon.
0: But uh That's true. There was
1: but that was not an incest relationship that was for love.
0: That's she true. Right. <laughs> and crazy, Baylor the Blessed and ultra religious Daron the second also were kind of against the incest marriages and none of their and, and Baylor just wouldn't go through it himself and none of uh, only one of uh Daron's no, none of Daron's kids, sons, married uh, a, a, a Targaryen. They all married outside of the family.
1: Yeah, certainly some of them had dragons, which is the whole big thing that I said is like, well, when you have a dragon, you can do whatever you want. And exceptionalism and Targaryens being different and all that. But later, we still see they don't have dragons and they still try the incest.
0: So and it's uh, and it has it, it has poorly. more consequences yeah. in some cases because you're right, they don't have the dragons to back it up um, to back them up.
1: I did love that bit of a lot, you know, about the exceptionalism, about the you know theology of how to excuse this. Yeah, we knew it had
0: to be addressed. It was like, "Wait, cuz it, it was kind of this thing hanging out over over the series like how did the cuz the faith hates it and we knew they yeah. hated it and we knew Megor and Jahari Megor beat them down and then Jahari's mm. kind of smoothed it out." Yeah. But we don't really get a, we didn't ever got a full explanation of of how it was
1: No, it was convincing too and like and yeah. they, he sent out all the different people, this the seven or whatever to yeah. uh to proselytize the good word of exceptionalism.
0: And this is a good example, almost, of historical retconning. They basically said it's not, it's, it's, they kind of changed their own beliefs. They were like, oh, but the, se- the seven have this, but mm. the seven didn't make the Targaryens, yeah. <laughs> the seven made the Andals. And this has a real world parallel. The Macedonians, when they conquered Egypt under Alexander the Great, and then shortly afterwards, Alexander died, and his empire was carved up into several little pieces. The piece that, the Egypt piece went to the Ptolemaic dynasty and the Ptolemies just retconned Egyptian history. They decided to insert a god named Macedon in the Egyptian pantheon and, and wrote it down as if he had existed since the beginning of time. And so that was how they kind of got people to accept their rule. So this is, has semi-historical basis and the Ptolemies were quite incestuous, by the way. <laughs> so <laughs> even more of a parallel. Uh, so there you go. We also have a lot more mentions of the Faceless Men. Uh, Again, since we're not talking spoilers too much, I'm not going to bring up the context of them being mentioned, but mentioned quite a few times. Uh, So to me, that is maybe indication of their rising importance in the next book, which I think a lot of us predicted, but maybe it's going to be even more than we thought. Um, there were also more mentions of new foreign gods. That yeah, kind of cool, was, right?
1: Yeah, there were definitely some cool mentions, which I particularly appreciate, especially because as you see back here, if you're watching um, in that Essos map of Michael's, he did um, the gods of Essos, this pantheon thing, and so it was really fun seeing how he chose to personify these gods, and so I really want him to do the new gods, we found out. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I bet Michael might be excited about doing some of those. I wonder if he's... Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's read the whole book yet, but if he, as soon as he gets to those parts, he'll probably, uh, you know, a light will go, a light bulb will go. Up. He's like, "Oh, look at that new, new yeah, gods." Yeah, there mm-hmm. were
1: some cool ones. I forget which one. I want to look it up real quick. You can keep talking. One that stood out um, to me
0: was Pantera, which yeah, is...
2: yeah, <laughs> Pantera. That was one of them for sure.
0: Someone that made me giggle a little bit because you know I used to listen to that band. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just, I'm pretty sure it's just Spanish for panther. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, I don't think it's even some fancy huh. made up word. I think it's just literally spanish for <laughs> someone will correct me in the chat if i'm wrong about that
1: i hope so um
0: okay so here's something else we're gonna do um i'm gonna interrupt our overview briefly for uh, a recurring feature we're gonna have in our in these live streams going forward a lot of you guys have seen this already at least a different version of it what we've been doing on twitter is posting what i've been calling parallel lives and these parallel lives are a comparison of usually a a current story character line a storyline character someone in Mm. a song of ice and fire who has a historical parallel and a lot of times these parallels are really tight a lot of them are much more close than you might think you might think that oh this guy is kind of like this guy An easy example is Aegon the Conqueror and Daenerys. There's a lot that they have in common. Three dragons, they ride the black dragon, they're going to try to conquer Westeros, etc. There's a lot of things like that. That one's a little more straightforward. There are some that are not so straightforward, and some of these are really powerful in terms of not just being fun, but in their ability to predict what's coming for the current storyline character. So, Twice an episode, we're gonna do these about once an hour. And this first one is the first one I ever posted on Twitter. Some of you guys have seen this one already. I've also posted it in our Facebook group, and this, so here we go, it's, here's the example. On screen I have Cruel, violent to his own family, largest in-class mount, path of destruction across the Riverlands, captured Harrenhal easily, killed a Targaryen, triggered brutal, brutal revenge, not beautiful revenge, yeah. brutal revenge, and then died in an epic duel versus a warrior prince. So, a lot of you have already realized that one of the answers is Gregor Clegane, okay? And you'd be right. That is is the answer to one of them. The other, well, I'm going to let you all think about that for a few minutes. Some of you may have already figured it out. I'm going to go a little farther with some of our discussion, and then in about five to ten minutes, we'll come back, and I'll give you the answer to the other one, and we'll also discuss the rest of the parallel.
1: Well, I can talk about those gods now. Yeah. I wanted to bring up. So you brought up um, the six-breasted cat goddess, Pantera. Very important <laughs> forgot to mention she that. she had
0: six breasts. Yes. But also,
1: there's Indros of the Twilight, who was male by day and female by night. Okay. Which got my mind thinking about it. You know, with any of these legendary or mythological things i always want to think about what they could you know parallel to and what they could hearken to so that is interesting we already knew the pale child Backlon of the sword and we have that up here above my head actually the little child and then this one was really interesting faceless gale, the giver of pain yeah because i think the, the faceless part with the giver of pain part makes me think of some sort of like inverse of the faceless men because you know they're Releasing you from pain oh. in, in some way. But also just the, the G-A-E-L of Gale just made me think of Alysanne's daughter Gale randomly. It's just not a, a word that we see a lot in the series. That's a good point. So anyways, I, I thought that was interesting.
0: And I uh, have a little more to say about Sagale. Sagale was a character George R. R. Martin invented in his first ever story. When he yeah. was 17 years old, he wrote a story called Only Kids Are Scared of the Dark. And it was, it was for a fanzine. Uh, about his superhero character Dr. Weird <laughs> and Sagael was some nightmare demon bringer of pain this evil creature uh, and tormentor of dreams and all this stuff so it was pretty cool
1: yes Gal um, yeah, the Pale Child did appear we've heard about Back along the Pale Child a few times yeah what are you looking at now Z? haha <laughs>
0: that's funny what? I've uh, read the. the I, I think I've read the wrong one but it still works <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I read the. I didn't read the right parallel lives tweet, but it still works. It's I oh, did a different did comparison. Yeah, that's funny, <laughs> but I didn't say who I wanted it to be, so it still works. I made a mistake that doesn't matter. How about that? So yeah, okay. Oh, so uh, now, okay. So people have had time to think about the the answer to the question. Now,
1: the answer was Megor Gregor, and now it's. Uh...
0: <laughs> I had intended for it to be Megor, uh, and it does work as Megor. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, the answer is Aemond One-Eye. Aemond One-Eye was cruel and violent to his own family. He he certainly murdered er, uh, Lucerius. To be fair, Lucerius cut out his eye. Like, what is up with those kids? Like, drawing, attacking each other as children with daggers in the face and... These were vicious kids. Neither of them, none of them, were good. Well, mm. maybe Daron was okay. He
1: seemed, yeah, he seemed fine. Yeah, at least fine. So, so
0: during the Dance of the Dragons, Aemon just flew all over the Riverlands, burning things, just burning castles, destroying stuff. Well, so did Gregor. Tywin ordered him to do that. They both captured Harrenhal easily. Gregor took it from Vargo Hoat, who was his men had abandoned him, etc. Killed a Targaryen triggered brutal revenge. Well, we know Gregor killed. Uh, Aegon, um, or did he? Uh-huh, he did. No, he killed Aegon. Um, I'm a believer in young Griff being Fagon. And whether or not he really did, it triggered the brutal revenge, <laughs> whether or not he actually did it. Uh, and of course, the brutal revenge was from the warrior prince that he died in the epic duel with. And that, of course, was the Red Viper. Now, in Aemon's case, it was the br- brutal revenge was the killing of Arax, who triggered, or Arax, and Lucerius, which triggered the blood and cheese incident. Of the murder of uh, poor um, Jaehaerys, little mm-hmm. little Jaehaerys there,
1: and then the epic duel was Daemon Targaryen, who George himself has compared to Oberyn Martell. Yeah, so the epic <laughs> duel
0: was, was 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 itself a parallel. <laughs> now, some of some people may have noted that there is a strong comparison to Megor, and that's the one I meant to make because I wanted to talk about Megor. I
1: just have to share this, this, this line from Eliana. who hasn't brandished a dagger or two in their youth. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, just,
0: just, just, just uh, I, uh, for uh, me it was probably more of a butter knife, you know. I don't know about, <laughs> about. <laughs> cracking me
2: up. The uh, butter knives
0: of today are the daggers of yesterday. <laughs> uh, uh, um so with Megor and Gregor is also a fantastic comparison. So I'll do that one another day. I'll do that one next week maybe. <laughs> we notice with Megor and Gregor even their names are similar, Megor, mm-hmm. Gregor. So I'll come back with that one next week. But we've got enough. actually, maybe we'll do that one for the second half of this one. But we'll see. I'll see if, I can, if I can look that up in time. Anyway, so let's get back to it. Do we have another super chat here?
1: Um. Yeah, we got one. I put it in the document.
0: Okay. Is it one we can it's, answer it's now or is it for uh, later? Yeah, it's, it's for now. Okay, cool.
1: It's after this section we were on right now. See if I Okay, right so now. we have
0: from Avril Carey. Great to see you both. Can't wait to hear more about your take on Jaharis and Good Queen Alice Ann. 22 live press-ups tonight, Aziz. ease. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so we will. Yeah, we'll we'll be saying a lot about Harris and Allison. In fact, just after this, I'm going to do a big, a little overview on page counts for people who are curious on how much of the book was what. And mm-hmm. w- as far as what she means about the 22 press ups, I wonder is that a European way of calling them
1: push up? Yeah, that's yeah, what they, that's
2: what they call them.
0: Okay, so in America we call them push ups. I've been doing a 22 push ups challenge to raise awareness for. Uh, veteran suicide: 22 veterans on average commit suicide every day, and I've been doing um, doing that, raising awareness on Facebook, sharing some charitable links and things like that. So no, I, I don't think the camera is pointed in the right way for that. <laughs> so I, I would be down on the floor where you can't see me. But maybe some other day, we'll have, maybe we'll have some co thing where Sean's doing dancing and I'm doing push-ups, and yeah. Sean's actually doing the push-up challenge too. he
2: dances
1: on your back while you do the push-ups?
0: Hmm, that sounds hard. But uh, but maybe. Okay.
1: <laughs> County West.
0: Okay, so yeah, so so let's do, let's divert for a minute to the uh, page count stuff, so you guys can get a sense of where George focuses attention on how, mu- and you can get a sense of how much of it was new. Because yes, a lot of the book is not new; a lot of it is the princess and the queen, the rogue prince, parts of the world of ice and fire. But that said, a lot of it is new. Maybe I think more than half.
1: Yeah, I mean, for example, I mean, you listed all out here, and all basically all of the J. Harris and Alessand stuff is new, and yes. that alone is two hundred and seventy-five plus pages. That's the largest section of the book. Yes, so that and that we really didn't know anything about that time period at all.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's, com- it's almost entirely new, other than a few very basic yeah. outline-y type things. We knew
1: who, some of the kids she had. Yeah, we yeah, knew the roads basically. were
0: built, but we didn't know yeah. the circumstances or but, when or yeah, so. what allowed them to pay for it, any of that stuff. And th- that detail in there. Then the next biggest there.
1: section is the Dying of the Dragons, which is a bunch of stuff we did know, but there's a bunch of new stuff in there, too.
0: Yeah, I would, I would say that something like a fifth to a quarter of the Dance of the Dragons is new. There's a, And I'm not counting the aftermath, because the aftermath is, is is a huge source of new stuff. So only the war itself uh, and the, the lead-up to it. The lead-up to it has a little bit more, for sure. Mm-hmm. There's a few more details here and there, a little more details, a lot of different characters, a few more new small storylines. Um, definitely more details on some of the characters in the war whose storylines were not completed because it was abridged. That's satisfying, for sure, to see some of these characters that you just see them mentioned and you never find out what happens to them. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. Almost all of those are loose ends yeah, are tied up.
1: like the majority of *Egg on the First and *The Sons of the Dragon*, we've had released because especially because we had *Sons of the Dragon* released already.
0: Yeah. Um, Although so there's that's a little,
1: yeah, there's a little there. new stuff in there, but so like out of 100 pages, I'd say probably 80% we knew and yeah. 20% I'd we say this about something.
0: right. It's 48 pages of *Egg on the First, which almost all old, and which unfortunately that's that's a little too bad because if you're if you're starting, <laughs> yeah, to, read yeah, the book starting
1: to read the book and not. you're like
0: looking for new stuff, you're like, well, none of this is new. <laughs> but but you, it gets new around the end of Magor's reign. I'd say. Like, that's when there's a little bit before that, but most of the new stuff in the Sons of the Dragon is, 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 has to do with the transition between Maegor and Jaehaerys, which is fleshed out more. And then, like you said, huge portion on Jaehaerys and Alysanne. It starts with Jaehaerys because Alysanne is, is a lot younger at first, and, and Jaehaerys is... By the way, that's another recurring theme before the dragons is kings that ascend to the throne without being of age. Mm-hmm. And that only happened... That didn't happen True, nearly as much the, after the, the
1: dragons. With the death of the dragons, too. I mean, with Aegon third, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, exactly. It's like that midway, but, you know, they were kind of around. Yeah, Just and plus. his
0: descendants, like... Because uh, he had... Uh, his sons were Daron, the young dragon, who took over at 14, although he was more like an adult because he was given his full authority right away. Um, anyway, uh, that was a bit of a side. So Sons of the Dragon is 56 pages. Like she said, it's, it's maybe 10%, 15% of that's new. So there's a little new stuff in there. Uh, and then towards the end... Now here's where it's almost all new again. We have the Hour of the Wolf, which is about 22 pages, and that's almost entirely new. It's like yeah. 20 out of 22 pages is new on that probably, and it's good. Then we have the Hooded Hand, which I didn't know what the hell that meant. <laughs> and now I do obviously, but that's like in terms of what a neat new section it is. It's very cool. It's an, it's more aftermathy stuff and it's it's really neat. Uh, then we have War and Peace and Cattle Shows, <laughs> which is also... Uh, I int-
1: swear, that, that kind of title, like the kind of thing you would name one of our, our section <laughs> titles for In our regular our episodes. episodes. It's just like War and Peace and Cattle Shows. You're very right. your humor. That is, you're we right. and Gildade would get along.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's about 30 pages, and it's really good. And then we have Oakenfist. I'll the- tell you,
1: when I got the book, I did not start with the first chapter. I went to Oakenfist, and, and I read that <laughs> chapter first, and then I went to the beginning because I knew that I knew so much of the first, Egg on the F- First and Sons of the Dragon. I just really wanted to tear into some really new content. So
0: yeah. And- I went with that. And what was your what was how did you feel after reading it? Were you satisfied? I was
1: satisfied, but I felt like I I, I needed the context of bef- the chapters before to f- truly appreciate um, the like political landscape that Oakenfist was uh, alive during.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes um, sense. And we have more to look forward to in his story eventually because yeah. he's a young man by the end of this book. That's uh, true. So he uh, he goes he lives on um, for many more years, which we already knew. So that's not a spoiler. Uh, so he's in fact part of the Young Dragons' conquest of Dorne. So oh. we know he outlives yeah. Egg- on the Third, <laughs> which <laughs> Egwene the Third lives till I believe one fifty-seven. So that is, uh, yes, yeah, so that's a no, long really time I really liked the away.
1: bit with Oak and Fish going to the High Tower, though. Yeah,
0: really oh, good stuff. stuff. So you guys have, yeah, if you, you that's near the end of the book. So I know a lot of you guys who are reading the book haven't gotten to that yet. So it's something to really to look forward to. And then the last section is the Lysine Spring slash End of the Regency, and that's 42 pages, so it's it's one of the longest sections that's one section, because really, Terrace and Alasan is 275 is pages, but that's several different sections that I just kind of mashed together to describe it once. So this is one of the longest single chapters, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting and also almost entirely all new. There's yeah. a couple of really it's cool totally anecdotes a, in it.
1: I feel really bad for Ego on the third. I mean, I, I suppose I already did before, but like you really get a sense of just how depressed and like tra- traumatized he is, you know. And people are judging him for his reaction. I'm like, he's just doing the best he can. He saw some terrible things. Who would not be a sad sack
2: there? Yeah,
0: I mean, when he takes over. When he, when he becomes king, and this still, I'm not going to get anything we didn't already basically know. He, <laughs> it was a huge, horrible winter. Yeah. The realm had been just ravaged by this awful civil war of the Dance of the Dragons. He saw his own mother get eaten by a dragon in front of him. As and like he knew a, that he lost like his brother.
1: Like, that's one of the things and that got him the most, felt for Felt sure. bad about
0: abandoning him, yeah. yeah. And he lost his own dragon, and, and his I... dragon was killed under him. He was traumatized yeah. by that experience
1: all terrible and then anytime he tried to like grasp a little bit of power for himself he would just be shot down or made fun of or any of these little things yeah, they like
0: treat him he, like a child he, yeah, or, yeah
1: exactly it was very yeah. frustrating to me to read as felt for him i was very glad when he f- put his foot down even if i felt bad for that manderley you know obviously because he was doing a decent job yeah
0: he was but, better than the previous guy better than Unrepeat, Yeah, that's he's for yeah sure. he still didn't
1: treat uh <laughs> <Agon> very well
0: <laughs> yeah no he did not so um so that's all really good, and I want, y'all, when you read that, if you haven't yet, or if you are going to read it again, think about Jon Snow when you're reading about Egg on the Third. It's, oh, yeah. It's super tight, those parallels. We'll get deeper with those when we, we go on. Yeah, there's get, definitely some go on, that, that, but
1: there's, again, we haven't seen how Egg on the Third's life pans out. And we don't. There's a lot of details we don't know, but there's definitely some that we see that got my mind spinning on what the implications could be for Jon, so I'm, I'm quite excited to talk about that, actually.
0: Right on. Okay, um, let's see here, uh, let's go back to some of the other overview stuff we had. Do we have any other questions to get to? Nope, we're okay. good. Okay. Um. Oh, good. Okay, so another thing we had, uh, again, not too many details just yet, we'll, we'll deal with them individually as we get to them, but there were several examples of just really overt magic right like kind of the kind of thing that's we've hardly seen it all or haven't seen it all and to me that's telling i think george is warming us up because Mm. the the magic has risen gradually Mm. right over this this this, the five books kind of at times it's kind of leveled off and then it's kind of maybe taking some spikes here and there i think maybe this is A hint that we're going to get a lot more magical stuff in the winds Mm -hmm. of winter, and we kind of already suspected that because, right? We already suspected the others would be kind of making more progress, the dragons would be getting older, things like that. But we may have been uh, look. We may have been light on those predictions. It might be even more. We might be. We might should be expecting a lot more magic. Mm. Um, What did you think? I mean, about some of these like. Really crazy examples again without the. I mean, we've already
1: gotten like some significant magic. I mean, you think about Victorian's hand and stuff like that. Good point. You can't help it. Like, again, we we thought of. Rhea, Raya just cuz some of the I not a one to one comparison, but just in some of the some of the um descriptions of her and his hand are a little similar, but just in like they're both very high magic type things. Yeah. Um and so I do think that we have already been getting some of that in the books and hints towards it and things we're wondering about from the horn to krakens showing up to the wall coming down to more children of the forest to a million other little things that I, I think that it's well set up for us to see more magic. I mean, Melisandre has already done some significant stuff, and we yeah. can see her doing more. It's hard to get more over the shadow babies, the <laughs> skin-changing element of it all, and sean's you know surviving Second his life, death and yeah. resurrection. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think we already can see the groundwork laid for a lot more magic to come into play. It's a
0: fair point. Yeah, maybe um, yeah. When you lay when you lay it all out like that, all the examples that we already had, you're right. There is a lot, but, but a lot. But, but if you but, yeah. but a lot of those examples were in dance. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah, they were. So, but you could, a lot of them, lot of them were there, work, or you. There were the hints that they were coming to come to pass soon. That's were there, true, I or think.
0: they were prophesied to come, or you know. Well, yeah, definitely
1: like things like with Alice Rivers in the book um, and her magical things. You can't help but think of uh, yeah, like what? Of yeah. <laughs> powers and yeah. and things like that. But some
0: of the diseases seem like they might have a magical element. There's, there's a good bit of disease in Fire and Blood, uh, and some of it seems like it might not all be totally natural. Um, You know, we know grayscale doesn't seem to have natural origins, so that already kind of lines up with sort of what we knew. Um, And there's there's a good bit of discussion of beyond the incest discussion. There's also some discussion of childbirth, which is something I really like to see George push back on. I loved
1: when I loved when um Reina yelled and yelled about about her about um Rogar getting Alyssa pregnant and like I mean she herself has been like, traumatized by the idea of this sort of thing which makes sense that women would be terrified of childbirth and marriage that you know marriage because it comes with childbirth and that's why um Reina would have gotten with Andro, because she just didn't want to have to ever go through childbirth like that again. Yeah, I mean it's um, <laughs>
0: you're it's, it's there's, <laughs> in a, old
1: age. there's
0: a There's a there's a complaint that exists not just in Song of Ice and Fire, but a lot of fandoms that that death and childbirth is used too often as a plot device. Yeah. Now, I I tend to somewhat agree with that complaint, but at the same time, it is true that death and childbirth was way too unfortunately common in certain you know medieval style settings. So, it's got to be in there somewhat to be realistic. It just doesn't have to be a plot device mm-hmm. so often. You know, I think yeah. that would be. If it just happened off screen, and there was you know. a
1: lot of that added in this book. <laughs> there was a there was lot. A lot. I was like I said, I was at least grateful that Raina railed against this, and and Aliceanne as well. A there were three, bit. at um, least
0: three railings against. Yeah, it, but okay. they were
1: like either angry with it or just saying like, look, this doesn't make sense. Like she shouldn't. She's too. She's not healthy enough to have a baby. She shouldn't be getting married right now. Yeah. So there were some that were just logically, you know, based, but some were definitely like in anger or fear.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay. So let's let's back this up to the beginning of this discussion because this has existed in the fandom for a long time. And I'm going to go ahead and blame 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 Braveheart for getting some of this. Not Braveheart, uh, but blame. I'm, I was going to talk about First Night also, which is r- r- related, and Braveheart is to blame for that. But before I get into that, I'm going to blame a lot of different medieval fantasy or medieval historical fiction uh, getting giving the wrong impression. It's something that is that a lot of us have debated a bit here and there. And here's, here's the bottom line. Medieval uh, women did not generally have kids before the age of 20 or so. They, it, it was a bad idea. No. <laughs> You're not unlikely to die. And it's just It was more it was
1: more likely somewhat, somewhat, for the higher class women to For the
0: higher class women. Yes, that's somewhat. what I was gonna say. Yes. Somewhat and particularly. Not
1: significant, but somewhat. Yeah,
0: it's let it's it wasn't common in the lower upper class. It was the reason it was more common in the especially among the ultra elite is because of dynastic considerations. Like if your house is gonna die out if you don't have kids, and your house is this big powerful thing that matters. So that doesn't apply to 99.99% of everybody. So, Mm -hmm. and Game of Thrones, frankly, is focused on that 99.99% and we're focused, we're, we're, the setting is a time of unrest, of civil war, of people being killed off. So yeah, dynasties are threatened. So that's why you see these young marriages. That's why you see Sansa getting married. Remember, remember Ned was like, she's too young to get married. Yeah. They even said it then. Yeah. But Robert's like, no, we got to, we got to, T- unite these houses. It's just a betrothal for now. They don't have to actually, you know, have the wedding, etc.
1: Bring us to a little bit later and she's marrying Tyrion, but thankfully <laughs> they were like, Tyrion, and she was like, yeah, this is too young.
0: Yeah, and, and but yeah, Tyrion thankfully had good morals about it, but. <sighs> Like Tywin is like, get her pregnant. Yeah. You know, or get her, or, or yeah, actually her he wasn't like that. She'll he
1: die in the neck, he yes. just
0: said consummate the marriage. Yeah, yeah. He was like, if you wait, you can wait on getting her pregnant, but consummate yeah. it. Consummate it. <laughs> you know, he's like, do it. Um yeah. So the other two people to meant bring this up are Alisand. Alisand mm-hmm. brings it up, is like, it's too too young to have kids, and the Maesters. The Maesters yeah. suggest that so i'm I, I like the learning I will people will say i had
1: the particular experience of having so many children where she you know realized she personal this for her. she you know
0: yeah and she, yeah, and so many of her kids died. I mean, it's, and I'm not even talking about the ones who died as adults. I'm talking about, yeah. like, she had yeah. the ones who died at stillbirth. Yeah, birth, so or, she knew
1: this is a, it was like, she's like, I, I'm sure she was well aware that she might not have survived any one of those births, and she had a lot of births, so yeah. when she has, like, a sickly young daughter who is not <clears> that strong, it seems, like, very reasonable to be like, yeah, maybe this one doesn't need to have kids. <laughs>
0: yeah, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe they can wait a little bit, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just, their dynasty isn't threatened. Like, look how yeah. many. Yeah. yeah, they had a bunch of
1: kids. It is true; they weren't threatened.
0: <laughs> like it was with Alyssa and, R- and Rogar. He had four yeah. brothers. Yeah, it's true. He did, I mean, <laughs> that, yeah. he, that he was that he trusted. Like he, yeah, he, he worked trust, closely with. He did with not them. need to
1: have a child with her. I'm sure yeah. he
2: appreciated it. But.
0: So anyway, yeah. So that's that's all. That's all very interesting. So let's do a quick. Um, let me do a couple of mid-roll shout-outs here, real quick, and then we'll get back to uh, this, the second half of this discussion and the second half of our episode in general.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I want to say hey to Vorsaki, wielder of a Valyrian seal Arrak with a dragon bone hilt, and Koal Koei called Sunpiercer, wielder of a dragon bone bow. Also, um, also I, I, shout outs for, whose turn is it this time? I believe it's time for the Sword captains. Mm-hmm. Peter Blaze of the Emerald Isle, captain of the Werewood Wanderers. Two long lives, quick deaths, cold beer, and warm women. Dagron Marshal the Axe is captain of the Red Tide. Resistance is futile. Chiron Cowlesbane is captain of the Stone Shields. The Torrent breaks upon the Stone. Hema Helminth is captain of the Whispering Children. Dead men tell no secrets. Shepard is the Shepherd of Essos. All men are sheep before the shepherd. He is heir to the Whispering Children, the son of Hema. Lady Lajara Dajo is the Iron Lily, Master Archer. Castellan of the Summer Island Keep, Arboreal Point, captain of the all-female Wailing Widows, women and children first. Cody the Crimson is Bastard of Bracken, captain of the Red Waste Exiles and Recruiter of the Free Folk. Cameron the Hammer of Hornwood, captain of the English Lions with the motto, Honor is the Reward of Virtue. Lord Brandon Brewer of Castle Blackrune is captain of the Shadow Wolves. Our steel is cold, our vengeance colder. And Black Alex Sand, the Bastard of Spears, leader of the Bermuda Vanguard. You can get a cool nickname like that with shout-outs by going to patreon.com slash... History of Westeros. Become a member Westorian. You get things like early episodes, bonus episodes. We've got some episodes that are only available to patrons. A couple of chapter reviews and some panels from uh, different conventions. And we'll be keeping up with adding some new features. We were always we're always modifying our Patreon and, and adding benefits and changing stuff. We're always trying to make tweak and, and improve whenever we can. All right. Well, that's all I have for the mid roll. We can get back to it pretty quickly here. Glad to see you. we got a nice turnout here. Nice number of people uh, joining us today. Thanks for that, folks. We're, like I said, this is a weekly thing. So catch us at six every Tuesday and for the game streams every other Friday, also at six. So I like to keep that as consistent as possible. So leading on from our childbirth and age issue comes the uh, issue of the first night issue. Uh, so I won't talk about it as much in how it was discussed in the book, because I'll, once again, we're trying to avoid spoilers as much as possible, because not everyone's finished that. But- We're about the, at
1: the hour mark though, ha
0: <laughs> True, we're gonna, yeah, that's true. So we'll, we'll start to drift into some specific spoilers. But the issue that it's raised in Fire and Blood isn't as important, I think, as what it says about A Song of Ice and Fire. So it's kind of a good transitionary topic because we don't have to get too specific to get into the details in A Song of Ice and Fire, which is the nitty gritty is really there. Now, first of all, the concept of First Night, like I said, Braveheart kind of threw us for a loop there by introducing it as if it was historical fact. It is historical fact, but it wasn't historical fact in England at that time. It may not have really been part of England much at all. It is historical fact in other places, Uh, maybe not very much in medieval Europe, but in other cultures. And the idea of it is, in, just in case you're not familiar, it's, it's discussed in A Dance with Dragons quite a bit, and in some other places, but in particular in A Dance with Dragons, and particularly with Roose. Particularly Roose telling Theon about it, and how it's still practiced. So if you take that, if you take the concept of what it is, which is a, a lord has the right to sleep with a bride on her wedding night, rather than her husband, which is, obviously, that's so awful. Uh, one of the things that's presented in Fire and Blood that r- relates to our topic of historical revisionism is that they're told, the histories say, now the histories don't really say this because there are no histories from the ancient north. It's, it's more like the stories that are passed down are that people would see it as a blessing to be if the warlord or the king of the north or any high lord gifted this woman with their seed. They're told, they're, we're supposed to be, we're told this was a good thing.
1: I mean, you can see why they would think it would be a good thing in plenty of, depending on who the lord was. If it's a lord who's going to then, you know, give the, the, the that family a bunch of gifts and, like, support them and yeah. do all of that, then, yeah, it was a blessing for those people in that situation. But I'm sure tons of lords did nothing like roosted did with Ramsay and just left them with the bastard and raped them.
0: You're exactly so, right. I think... And it's
1: rape nonetheless, so I, yeah. I doubt that the women were into it regardless. But at the very least, in some cases, they could be like, if, if, if this happens to us, we're taken care of for this yeah. child's life.
0: It's, it's a weird exception, right? Like, it, 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 there are, it's, it's like one of those, like, you hate to go through it, but it's undoubtedly gonna, in a, in a situation where you're living dirt poor in the snow, that getting some gifts for that, for that yeah, it might, could be, might be the difference between life and death. Yeah. But it goes beyond that. So, so part of that is the historical revisionism of, like, it's presented as a good thing when it was probably only a good thing part of the time. And the closer to modern times we get, the less often it's going to be considered a good thing. It's almost always—it's almost always a bad thing. Like in modern *A Song of Ice and Fire*, yeah. when they're not really giving these gifts or they're not—they're not, you know, bringing r- raising these bastards on high yeah. and saying, "This is my song. in other
1: cases, you could also say that they might—it might have been a. a- a benefit or a boost if, if there was... If we're looking at skin changer genes or anything like that. Yes. That you could be passing on some skills in that respect. Which brings us to, like, the Targaryens thinking... With the the dragonseed thing. The dragon seeds are a blessing be- and in that case, it's closer because they really do. It might have, you know, more immunity to disease, ability to ride a dragon, potentially, good looks. Like, there are some you know, benefits to being of that genetic line in some ways.
0: Yeah, so it's an it's a, it's a ethical conundrum, but it also creates a lot of interesting storyline uh, points of interest. Okay, so we take what we know about the dragon seeds. We know that at some point during the dance, they started trying to find new dragon riders. This is something we knew before Fire and Blood, obviously. And it worked for some and not for others. That's a whole other topic on why it worked for some and why it didn't work for others. But now flip that around and think about the North and like what you say with like the skin changer genes, Mm -hmm. for example. Or the possibility that the others, we've heard that the others may have mated with humans in the distant past and made half human children. They
1: were the ones that did the first first night.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm saying, (laughs) right? Maybe... The first knight, because we're told in Fire and Blood that the first knight is strongest in the north, has always been strongest in the north. It's a first man thing that some of the Andal lords adopted because they're like, oh, hey, I can bang whoever I want. And this is law. Wow, I can get away with that. Uh, so it's these uh, so these these characters are have this opportunity to speak about it in a different way. Um, If the genetics are being passed down, and this magical blood is being passed into different like dynasties, that has a whole that says a lot about what's going on in terms of like core elements of the series and the core story. Like, think about Craster and his sons, giving them to the others, all the males. Like, that seems to me at least familiar to this concept. If you have if you have a lord that goes sleep, goes around and sleeps with all the women who get married on the first night in his domain, and he himself has some sort of magical blood. Some of the sons that pop out, he might claim them because they have his genetics, like Roose claimed Ramsay because of his eyes. He's like, well, he did have my eyes. And how Veramir tried to impregnate women from a bunch of different villages. He would send his shadow cat and demand that a woman from this village sleep with him. That's not first night, but it's pretty much the same thing. Just demanding a woman to sleep with him because he's going to kill them otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, forcible rape. So, But Vermeer had no kids with him, but he wanted to. Vermeer was thinking, none of those women provided, had gave me any child that had the gift. So that concept has floated around a lot, and I can't exactly tie it all together, but you can see there's a lot of overlap there. So I think this is a fertile ground for theorizing. Uh, some of this theorizing has been done already, but I think we got more of it to build on. Fire and Blood gave us a, some new perspectives on it, and Pointed out that it's a more interesting, uh, more relevant concept than we may have first realized. Mm -hmm. So I think that's uh, pretty important. It didn't seem as important before, but the more I think about it, the more I think there's some theorizing needing to be done here. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Okay, so we got a couple more super chats here. Yeah, two. Okay, Thomas Pappas, Zisa's haircut, hubba hubba. (laughs) Well, thanks, Tommy. Appreciate it. There you go. Uh, uh, Yes, thank you. Mm. And then from a Black-Eyed Lily, happy holidays. Well, thank you, Susan. We appreciate it. Happy holidays to you as well. Happy holidays to everybody. All, my, all of our fellow Westorians,
2: mm-hmm.
0: we are very thankful for you all and so happy to been very thankful for this new material to discuss with you. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on. Let's go into some a little bit more specific topics.
1: Yeah, I see, Lorenzo. Lauren here had a nice, an interesting comment. She says, "I was born in a rural mountain in central Italy. The lust prima noctis, right of the first night, was definitely practiced, and not just during the Middle Ages, till early 1900s."
0: Holy crap! Really? Yeah. Wow!
1: Wild! Whoa! Uh-huh.
0: That is kind of shocking. Uh-huh. But yeah, there you go. That's uh, that's is uh, uh, straight from uh, straight from the source here.
1: Yeah. Someone else has talked about it happening in Ireland. Everyone else talks about in west of Ireland that um, people would observe that. And that wow. some descendants were still referred to as Bingham's Bastards. <laughs> so, and,
0: yeah, the concept knows. comes up in like Greek myth a lot. Other myths too, but Greek's oh, yeah. the one I'm most familiar oh, yes, with. Especially like with Zeus dots. and yeah. guys yeah. is okay. going it's down there and just like
1: yeah. disguising themselves <laughs> as
0: animals and just and raping women anyway even when they're not. They're like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm going to disguise myself as an animal, then chase this woman around and then become a person. Which, maybe they're at least happy there. I'm not going to kill them as an animal, but I'm still going to rape them. So, like, what? Jesus Christ. Yeah, so
1: even though she has an animal. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> it's like, well, at least I'm not being raped by an animal? It's like, is that, Are they supposed to feel happy about that? There's them? a
1: really good bit that Sean and Aziz and I love from the show Man Seeking Woman that's about about, about Zeus and, and Cupid. And Cupid's like, they're, is having like an intervention. And Cupid goes, what about that time that you turn into a bull and you rape that lady? And, then <laughs> and you rape black. that other lady. Did it a bunch, too. <laughs> yup,
2: yup, yup.
1: He's like, it's not about that. It's, it could be. <laughs> That's just, yeah, a lot of that. Man, Saint uh, Woman is
0: a fantastic show. Everybody. Yeah, uh, <laughs>
1: I'm just glad we don't have any fusion of that in like the skin changing first night. Like we don't have that to deal with. We've got incest, yeah. but not so much bestiality.
0: Yeah, I mean we have the um, we already have like dragon babies popping out, right? But we don't have like half wolf babies popping out. We didn't go that far.
1: <laughs> uh, SKG Anna says, "Well, doesn't the Holy Spirit rape Mary?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess, kind of. It's another thing like that. She's blessed. (laughs) She never consented. (laughs) Oh, man.
0: Okay, so let's talk about some other kind of, maybe maybe not themes, but uh, concepts that pop up throughout the Fire and Blood in several places that are relevant to A Song of Ice and Fire. One of that comes up, and some of these are relevant to... It's interesting to look at both sides in terms of the ice and the fire. For example, we just talked about the first night thing. The first night is presented on both sides as like a, the way the dragon seeds are, but also from the north and, and in terms of the ancient north. So it's, yeah. it's, there's a, it's, it's different, but it's the same, you know. Uh, and so we have the, the same kind of thing here with what happens when you lose your dragon. It's pretty yeah. traumatic. Yeah, and the same thing is true for like losing your direwolf. Or we don't
1: we don't see anyone who loses their dragon and manages to hatch another dragon.
0: We do not. We we (laughs) see Rhaenyra intend to. She wants to. She's like, I need to go get another dragon after Cyrax dies. But she doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't.
1: but more than a few people want to, and I mean, some never got one, and they managed to hatch. Like obviously. uh, you know, Raina managed to hatch one, Bela's twin, or whatever. Yeah, or she, uh, like eventually. much later. Much yeah. later. Much later. You later know. Yeah. Too late to be.
0: And oh. uh, in fact, that in fact, I have it. We have a some more dot connecting might might be uh, here. <laughs> we might be able to do that with Raina, not uh, not the first Raina, but this Raina who sister of Bela, this, the daughter of mm-hmm. of uh, Damon. Yeah. And Emma uh, Aaron, and uh, she, well. Uh, her her dragon was Morning. Yeah. And Morning was green. And yeah. Morning was always coiled around her. And I think that's probably the last dragon. Mm-hmm. Because we know that Sir Arlen of Pennytree
2: yeah.
0: Eggs ma- eggs yeah. dunks. Uh, well, the last master.
1: dragon that we see cuz we do think that there are some, you know, like sheep stealer for example that
2: um,
0: Well, that dragon dies in one dies in 153. 153? Yeah, Morning. Yeah. The last dragon and is green, which is yeah. Morning is green. Yeah. And, and so our island sees like she's stunted and it's a she and well I just mean sheep. that we
1: like know that like Nettles and Sheepstealer just take the hell off oh, so that's yeah. what I'm saying is that the, you're right we t- technically can't say when Sheepstealer actually passed
0: you're right we do not know um, when Sheepstealer or the cannibal or Silverwing died
1: yeah there's a few there yeah. but you know um, that's you know I, you're probably close to right but I just I'd like to think that Nettles and Sheepstealer <laughs>
0: are <out laughs> yeah, the last still, official they're still out there today <laughs> <laughs> it's possible yeah you never you, never, you wonder where, <laughs> where she, their bone if their bones are ever found yeah, or, uh,
1: yeah it's true Of dragon bones, you think they'd find
0: it, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, we wonder about how that's going to come into play with direwolves being lost. We saw like uh, what happened with um, some of the animals being being killed with um, you know, Mm Varamir and uh, Orel, I suppose. Well, Mm Orel really he died and went into his eagle, yeah, and then Varamir screamed when Orel was Orel and the eagle was burned Mm -hmm. by Melisandre. Uh, a small thing that we learned about was uh, eggs in cradles. We, I had theorized that the that the tradition of putting an egg in a cradle was something that started during the Targaryen regime and not before. And that was, hey, that mm-hmm. was that was confirmed. Uh, we got it was the first Reina that started that tradition. Yeah, the best Reina. The first <laughs> best Reina, and it's mentioned in the book. It says. Most of the eggs put in cradles hatched, although that eventually stopped. Yeah. That became not true after the dance. <sighs> <laughs> but that's pretty neat. Uh, we didn't that, that explains why Megor and Aenys didn't have eggs in their cradles and why they picked dragons that were already hatched. Mm-hmm. Uh, because and same with Jaehaerys and Alysanne and a few others. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, interesting. Um, we brought up earlier. We brought up the the, this, the Targaryen exceptionalism, the doctrine of exceptionalism for the Targaryens.
1: Yeah, we got a question here too from Stannis Baratheon. Again, um, not a super chat, but it's just as relevant to this. Where he asked, "What are your thoughts on the pattern of religious rebellions throughout the Targaryen reign?" Mm. It was relevant in terms of uh, the way they managed it. Yeah, and that exceptionalism was a, a, a very effective, I think, in keeping things tamped, tampered down. For yeah, you a needed
0: while. you needed some kind of compromise because what you had with Meigor and the faith was two sides that were never, never, never going to back down. <laughs> <laughs> They were like, "Kill as many of us as you want. We are not giving up our beliefs." And Megor was like, "I'm going to kill as many of you as I can. Yeah. I'm not stopping my <laughs> my multiple wife having ways, you know." <laughs> oh man. Um, so, yeah, I think that it, it was a kind of it's kind of like on one hand, you don't want to have this concept in, in real life you don't want like a race to be superior to others it's kind of gross to think about in that life but Targaryen we don't have this in the real world I mean we have people claiming this in the real world but we mm. don't actually have yeah. su- we don't in, you know in, in my view in your <laughs> view no race is superior to another no. but in the real world no race has disease resistance and bonding with dragons yeah. like I might consider them different <laughs> if that really existed yeah. Uh, they had
1: weird dragon children sometimes. Yeah, so, so yeah, I probably would think of them as pretty different.
0: So you know, so I believe the Targaryens have magical blood. I believe that a lot of Northerners have magical blood because of the skin changing and the green seer gene can manifest. But the the reason this might be more relevant for Song of Ice and Fire is is that well, one thing religion's coming back. We got the faith, you know, coming back. That's so relevant to megor because Cersei's kind of you know. She she has a little bit of Megor in her, but she's the one who brought the faith back. So in that, she's the opposite of him. <laughs> but she's going to have to deal with what she's uh, with this can of worms she's opened. And uh, so it might be relevant for the Lannisters. Cersei yeah. and Jamie both have been kind of like, "Well, why can't we do it? Why can't mm-hmm. we be like this?" You ride a
1: dragon, you could do it. And I forget yeah. what the exact line is, I wish we'd grabbed that one, but there's yeah. a line where they say <laughs> when you when you ride a dragon, you can marry your sister.
0: It was uh yeah, it was some hedge, some hedge knight that said, "Can I bang my sister?" And he's like, yeah. "Well, if you can go yeah. tame a dragon, yeah. if you can do then that, yes. Go ahead." I'll marry you myself," is what he, yeah. said. he said. "I'll marry you to your sister <laughs> if you can go tame a dragon." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it's it's neat and I think it was necessary because you did kind of have to. George did have to explain how they got from we're gonna kill you for these beliefs yeah. to, okay, we accept this. Somehow that had to be explained and it, and it was. I think mm-hmm. it was, I think George did a good job on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, a couple other small tidbits. Um, we had another uh, Corbray, Second Son with Lady Forlorn, just kind of mm-hmm. like Lynn Corbray, and a little, just a small note there. Mm-hmm. We have uh, once, something that I didn't catch before, it maybe came up in the World of Ice and Fire, I don't think so, mm-hmm. but once Meraxes was killed, in Dorne, there was a lot more. Oh, hey, watch out! This is dangerous. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more caution about sending dragons into into battle after that. There yeah. it was cited several times as, "Hey, well, what I look what happened with Rainies and Raxi?es Watch out! Yeah. Like, Rainiera never went into battle. Yeah, <laughs> for example, for
1: all the good it did her. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if it would
0: have helped, even if she did. But yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah for, so that's that's uh, you know a thing. Um, mm. We have a mention of. Um, Dragon Lord versus Dragon Lord when when the dan- before the dance breaks out as a reference to old Valyria and mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of cool is the notion that dragons fighting dragons. Um, we also have a, a, a mention of people in fighting pits underground fighting pits with filed teeth, which is a reference to uh, an analog for Biter Rorge and Biter. That's what Rorge did. Rorge uh, adopted Biter and raised him to be an animal, basically.
1: It was also like, um, what are those things? Those um, Selkie-type merman, murder lady-type things there was that file their that. teeth. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know um, what I'm talking
1: about? I can't remember what they're called now. I can't Anyway, it's not <laughs> super important. Um, but they were the, you know, kind of Lovecraftian things from, from the sea.
0: It wasn't the Selkies, was it? The Selkies were the walrus no, men. No,
1: it wasn't them. Maybe someone will know. I can't okay. recall right now, but they definitely like had these like filed teeth. Nasty. <laughs> In real life, history as well. The, some mermaid, mermaids have filed teeth like
0: that. Oh, okay, nice. Uh, um, kind of like
1: shark teeth, I
0: guess. Some ominous foreshadowing for White Harbor. Uh, so long,
1: Rob says, says, "People of the Thousand Isle Islands." Yeah, the
0: people of the Thousand Islands have the that's filed it. teeth. Yeah. That's right, right. That's yeah, what I was that's. Uh, uh, Thanks. And we know that the the sea snake went to see them. <laughs> 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 that was from uh, yeah. The, it's the it's the the Thousand Islands, which is George's uh, own reference to his own Thousand Worlds. Uh, sci-fi setting mm, he did a little creepy, uh, creepy. little meta speaking of meta um there is a character mentioned named stormbreaker and then there's a sword company mentioned called the stormbreakers mm. now stormbreaker uh is a nod to a, a person named benjamin swiercek swiercek who was part of the fire uh the um, blood and uh, fire and blood mush. Wait, blood. What is it called? Blood of dragons mush. Run by yeah. Elio Garcia and Linda Antonson, who of course co-wrote the World of Ice and Fire and are the owners of Westros.org. Well, this this man uh, Benjamin uh, Swierczek, he unfortunately died a couple years ago, and so this was Stormbreaker was his character uh, in that mush, and so this was a nod to him. So I'm pretty sure Stormbreakers is also is a further nod mm-hmm. to him. Because uh, George was clearly aware of this person and nice. uh, gave a nod to him. Yeah.
1: We got a super chat from Lajara Dane. Do you think the Jahari's propaganda of Targaryen exceptionalism should lead us to cast doubt on the greatness of Jahari's and Alysanne's reign? Well, I think you have to have some propaganda. I do. I don't think propaganda for a reign is bad. I think that that. Is in fact often a good thing. Yeah, a to little bit. Get out ahead of it. A little um, bit,
0: yeah. In I this case, case too,
1: you have to. You have. I mean, you have to send people out. I think that like it makes good, you know, logical sense that the strategy they had of actually sending people out to put out this propaganda and proselytize for them was for the good of their of their reign and the realm. Um, and I do think that their reign was overall good, and as much as they can be. I don't know about you.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. Other
1: propaganda is obviously very bad. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't have to be good <laughs> or bad. I think
0: it's true. And in this case, I think it was good because it was. It's all about what it's used for. If you use propaganda to benefit just just personal benefit, that's obviously wrong. Yeah. I, I think. I mean, it almost, was for their right personal
1: addition. benefit, but like, well, no, it wasn't it, only. Know, for yeah, their it wasn't only for right because
0: it. it was the realm was just being shredded by this 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 uh, this rub of belief you know like the, the seven wouldn't accept this and the targaryens can't change and i don't know i, I think it does ca- i mean all the targaryens have this this shadow over them she this.
1: clarifies as well with what she what they mean is gild is gildane part of that propaganda with all of what mm. we heard greater overblown and, I mean, mm. I think that it probably was logged down that they did those things, and that it seems like, I, I, I would guess that Gildane is a fan of them, and he paints them in that good light. He really doesn't show them very negatively.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to look at Jaehaerys and al and say they were bad. And, and, and she's not saying that. She's just saying, is no. that a ne- slight negative or to is, or is Gildane,
1: great... Or is Gildane biased or is Gildane in Gildane helping biased, to yeah. spread that?
0: That's a good point. I mean, Gildane was not a contemporary of theirs. So no. he's he's all he's only working with sources that were before him. Um, yeah. So. But I,
1: I can see why, I mean it seems like he w- would be biased and like them. I mean just think about their characters and the the respect they had for like academia and, and the and Barth and all of that. And Alessand, like he even writes like Alessand could have been a mixture herself. Yeah. You know all that. So it, it seems like he had a healthy respect for them, honestly.
0: Um one question, just a quick sidebar. One question that people have is about the incident with Area Targaryen, which of course we want to talk about. But next week, the focus of next week's live stream will be higher mysteries. We've been—I I took a vote on Patreon, uh, open to everyone on Patreon, as to what topic you wanted us to do next, and that was the top choice. So I'm not—so we'll save that for next week. But. Needless to say, if you haven't read the Arya Targaryen incident, it's early in Jaehaerys and Alysanne's reign. So if if you are early in the book, you're probably close to it. So read it. Oh man, it's amazing. And you want to be prepared for next week. You got a whole week to get ready for that. So yes, we will be dealing with that. Another couple of random tidbits. We have uh, Rigo Draz, who is probably going to be featured in a Parallel Lives episode. Uh, Trivia piece later in a future episode. How did you say that name? Rigo Draz. Hmm. How would you say it?
1: I I don't know. I guess not like that.
0: That's how the Simon Vance is saying yeah. it. So I'm just kind of going with that. Maybe it's Rego, but yeah, it could yeah. be Rego because he's it's kind of a, it's supposed to be sort of Italian-ish. I think.
1: Yeah. Anyways, I just was surprised. It took me a second to parse the name you said. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: he's like a, a very strong analog for Illyrio. There's a lot of parallels to Illyrio with him, especially being from Pentos, <laughs> and and being a master of coin, and which is what Illyrio claims he wants to be under young Griff, et cetera. Et cetera. But that's that's a whole other topic. He is the first. Person in Westeros under the Targaryens, which means under, under the Iron Throne, to be a lord without lands. You know, later people with that uh, same distinction are Lady Misery, Varys, mm-hmm. uh, basically anyone with a lord without lands or armies. And in this case, it was him. So he's the master coin. He was, a, you know, from Pentos. So that's cool. We saw the origin of that. And we also saw how they used Eastern titles at first. You had Lord Admiral slash Master of Ships mm-hmm. and Lord Treasurer slash Master of Coin. Now okay. it's just Master of Coin Master of Ships but yeah. they use those Eastern titles so that's kind of neat. A little, great little detail by George showing that Eastern influence that slowly fell off as it became mm-hmm. they kind of came into their own as this united single kingdom.
1: Mm-hmm. Reconyx here says, How will Targaryen fanboy and present Robert in his little rebellion? Which technically was Jon Arryn's rebellion. I, it's a funny idea. It's funny. Yeah, it
0: kind of was. It? I don't know Ares how much rebellion. of
1: a fanboy he can be at the point that he he's writing about Ares. Yeah. He, I don't know how much he can be like, It was wrong for them to depose this terrible, terrible, terrible man. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he was
0: right to murder all those people without, yeah, you so know. I don't, yeah, I'm
1: curious how he handles it. I feel like he'll be pretty even-keeled, I suppose, yeah. with it. He might have been like, if only Rhaegar could have succeeded to the throne instead, or something. (laughs) uh, (laughs) That's
0: interesting. That is interesting. Um, We have another... I wonder if
1: Gildane's an anti-magic maester, or ambivalent towards magic maester, or what? Pro a good question.
0: He doesn't seem too anti, because he seems to be... He quotes Barth Barth frequently, and Barth talks about, you know, quite a bit of magical stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. He doesn't censor that. Probably ambivalent. So
0: we just get another one?
1: Yeah, we did. I put it right Okay, there. so we
0: have uh, Stannis Baratheon with another super chat. Opinions on Nettles and the Burned Men confirmed. Yeah, I think that's a slam dunk at this point. We are told the, in the World of Ice and Fire that there is a mysterious fire witch with a dragon in the in yeah. the veil, and it seemed to be likely that was Sheepstealer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but in, the, in Fire and Blood it flat out says yeah. that it's her. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And really, I... It's hard to imagine who else it could have been, you know. <laughs> I don't think we, if it was somebody, it was a total unknown. We didn't have any other candidates. So that's, that's pretty locked down now. Um, I Obviously, she couldn't, almost, she almost certainly couldn't be alive. But the dragon probably isn't alive either. But yeah, there's a tiny chance. It seems pretty unlikely, but you never know.
2: <laughs>
0: we got um, some scenes with the Sea Lord of Bravos and different tidbits through the Bravosi at different points throughout Fire and Blood. And one thing that's made clearer is that the Sea Lord just dr- name drops the Faceless Men as a threat, which is really quite interesting. We knew that the Faceless Men and the Iron Bank probably had a relationship and them being such powerful, longstanding institutions. Obviously, they have some connection to the ruler of the city. They can't yeah. just not have contact with each other at all. But just flat out having him name drop them as a threat was <laughs> more than what we were used to. So... Basically, the long and short of that is that there seems to be a tighter connection showcased here, which might be setting us up for seeing those organizations operating more in concert in the Winds of Winter and possibly going forward. Uh, As we know, Stannis got paid by the Iron Bank, and the Iron Bank doesn't half-ass it. So if they're helping Mm -hmm. him, they also want to help bring down the regime that he's fighting against because they want to get paid and yes. so uh that we might see some more movement in that area uh so that'll be interesting okay mm-hmm. what else do we have here um, for miscellaneous i want to make sure i didn't miss anything up Maybe here migration oh yeah we talked about some migration yeah um there's multiple examples of migration from one realm to another or one region to another uh, a really big one is Stormlanders who were brought out of the Stormlands when, during the dance, when, uh, as part of, I believe it was Boros Baratheon's army, Mm -hmm. uh, as they fought in the Stormlands, or fought in the Riverlands and in the Crownlands, a lot of them were like, hey, it's better here. (laughs) So when they went back home, a lot of them didn't come. They're like, nah, we're going to live here. We're going to live in the Crownlands and King's Landing. Yeah, not so much the Riverlands. I misspoke there. It was mostly the Crownlands and King's Landing. And remember, King's Landing was fairly new. It had not been; around, only been around 130 years by the time the dance came. So there wasn't uh, as much knowledge of what it was like. And it grew so fast and so big and provided lots of opportunities. And then later we have the Northerners staying in the South. You know, they come down with Cregan expecting to fight in this big war and then the war's kind of over so they can't fight in it but they don't really want to go back north either because it's winter and they left kind of thinking we're not coming home you know how it goes with the northerners they when they think that there's not enough food they go out to die but they didn't just have to walk out Me in the too. snow to die in this case <laughs> i'm glad you haven't done that yet <sighs> It doesn't. That's why we live in Atlanta. So Shea doesn't walk out and just decide to go freeze day, to death. Just, yeah,
2: I'm done with life. She
0: might just go out there and melt. She's more like to be like, it's not cold enough out here. <laughs> I'm just standing out here. I'm getting mosquito bites. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's do let's do our next parallel live example. Uh, Oh, so I guess I didn't say what they did. The Northerners stayed there and they married Riverlanders. And the Riverlands, as always, being in the center, whenever there's this big war Mm -hmm. that engulfs the whole continent, which thankfully doesn't happen that often. But when it does, the Riverlands gets really screwed because they're right in the middle. And uh, that means a lot of people are dead, especially the men. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of Northerners stayed in the Riverlands and took Riverlander wives, which provides some interesting background context to this fledgling, failed Northern... Riverlands Kingdom that Rob tried to yeah. forge. Yeah, so,
1: there was a lot of, of history among there. So it gave um, them more shows of a how the close connection that they had.
0: Yeah, so I appreciate that. That was that gave them a little more reason to. They had plenty of reason. It didn't. This wasn't necessary, but it was good. It was a good addition to the backstory. Okay, let's talk about some other new stuff. Let's do our next parallel lives example. Okay. I'm gonna need. Well, he actually Shay, why don't you pull up one of those uh, art pieces for okay. a second while I go. Look up this other one because I, I picked I the wrong one. I want to take one.
1: a second to share this image of Alyssa Farman with this Ravosi looking very creepy next to her. But she's just really, really just pleased that she scammed the hell out of some people and got a ship. I won't give. We are in our spoilery section, but I won't give too much information. But she's a great con artist, and it was all <laughs> worth it, I think, because um, she got a glorious ship and some cool piratey gear. So... That this is me killing some time with this image while Aziz looks this up. Yes, indeed. Anyways, I did really like her character, even though, like I said, she definitely did some some shady things. But you got to do what you got to do. It's a man's world, and and she she found a way to get her ship. <laughs> uh, okay.
0: okay, so here we go.
2: Yes, here's another parallel of lives.
0: This is um, also related to the reign of uh, one of the early kings, as well as someone very familiar. Um, Okay, so the clues are a queen, controversial marriage from the West, not far from reign, as in house reign, drugged unbeknownst to her to prevent pregnancy and told that it is a fertility potion. So a lot of you have probably already realize that the current character is Rob's wife, Jane Westerling. But who is the historical figure that matches that description exactly? This was my most recent tweet of these types. So some of you know the answer already, but most of you don't. So think about that for a minute. And we'll be back with the answer after another brief discussion. For a quick
2: word from our sponsors. I'm joking. (laughs) I'm joking. We don't have a
0: sponsor. (laughs) No, we do have sponsors. We have many individual sponsors. We call them patrons. (laughs) Members
2: of our community. (laughs) That's right.
0: That's right. We love you all. Okay, so Mm. let's talk about something else while you guys think about that question. How about... Uh, the possibility. How about we talk about this this letter mystery? I know a lot of people wanted to just talk about the mystery of the letter. Now, again, this is a good example of something that we already knew. We already got all the details on, but people are more apt to discuss it right now because it was presented to us in a more readable, uh, digestible format.
1: I'm just going to put this powerful image of Mary Martell on the screen.
0: A.K.A. the Yellow Toad of Dorne. What a nickname. Yeah, what a great piece <laughs> of art, too. They've really
1: done, done a great job in The World of Ice and Fire and in this book and in um, the histories and lore, actually, of really representing this woman. Is uh, Honestly, the, a thing that I find in a lot of the artwork for these books is um, it's just that they're all really attractive, a little same facey in the world of ice and fire in particular. It's true, um, and you know whatever. But I, I do feel like this has this this that piece had a lot more personality to it. Not everyone's some a, a gorgeous, perfect looking young woman. So <laughs> yeah. I, I like seeing her, Maria. There. Um, I but like this letter.
0: I like this detail that her name is Maria, which is it's if you put N Y in front of it, it's Ny Maria. Yeah. just Like another. Yeah, another little tidbit, little subtle uh, naming of course, convention detail. we had detail. Mariah,
1: too.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. Mariah. Yeah, speaking of names, was something I thought was funny. Like Besides the bean thing, there was this, like, several names. I hated names
1: that the- name Corianne, though. Corian. We got Corianne one, but then we also got Corianne Martell. And something drives me crazy. Not not an attractive name to me.
0: He just threw in some new names, did he? Like, he, yeah. he added the name Victor, which had never yeah, been Victor, used before. And there and was and
1: uh, some other, like, very, like, just Samantha.
0: Yeah, Samantha. yeah, just more like normal names. It was a little. Yeah. It wasn't bad. It was just a little odd. I, mean, I definitely noticed the pattern. His George is naming people differently. <laughs> and
1: then and as for the for Fracastorii, asking why is she not wearing a crown? Dornish need no crown. That's why. <laughs> no. Uh, but um, as for this letter, I think we want to talk about what we think the letter is. I've long felt, and I think a lot, it's pretty well.
0: Well, let's uh, let's let's explain okay. it real quick, just okay. in case for a few people who don't know. Okay, so okay. what happens is Rhaenys is shot down over the Hellholt during this second war with Dorne, and Meraxes a bolt through the eye, of Meraxes, and then Aegon receives a letter, uh, a letter that makes him that makes him so upset that he clutches he cuts himself on the Iron Throne. Um, and maybe that doesn't sound so weird because a lot of people cut themselves on the Iron Throne, but it's the only example we hear of Aegon doing it. He wasn't uh, mm-hmm. he, he was a little more careful. Um so that's really interesting. So what he what he does is then he leaves. He gets on Balerion, rides, flies off to Dragonstone, comes back and says, "Okay, the war's over." Yeah. And was
1: uh, you know something I don't remember is it was Visenya on Dragonstone right then or was she um in King's Landing?
0: Probably in King's Landing because okay. she was the I'm one in remember. charge of running the day-to-day yeah. stuff. Uh, he 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 divested yeah. most of the day-to-day responsibilities to her. Yeah, okay. Cool. Uh, just trying to clarify that. So, especially around this time when, because Rhaenys and Aegon were busy attacking Dorne and Visenya mm-hmm. was you know, doing her thing. Then, after Rhaenys was killed, then Visenya and Aegon went nuts uh, over Dorne before they got the letter. So mm-hmm. I I, I, need, I should have said that first. Um, and then they were stopped. There is a little bit of continuity, uh, I, would, I don't know if it's an error, it might be an error, where we have one, the World of Ice and Fire saying that Sunspear was never burned, and we have Fire and Blood saying it was. And uh, that's two different sources, so I think it's in, maybe in one of those quote-unquote intentional uh, mm-hmm. mistakes. But I believe Sun—I believe the first is true, because we see no evidence of Sunspear being burned from the Dornish POVs who were there, like, uh, well, and Sir Aerys, who's not Dornish, but he's in Dorn. So there's no evidence of, 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 like, Dragonfire ever having, you know, it would, it would still be present, probably. Anyway, uh, that's a very small thing. Hmm. Okay, so the letter, so what is in the letter, is the question. What made Aegon say okay, this is a reason for me to stop the war.
1: Yeah, I think the most likely answer, the most popular answer is that Rainys was still alive. They had her captured. They've been torturing her. They had her say a little thing in there that says, please put me out of my misery or whatever. But there's a lot of holes in that issue in that as well. It was like, why did Aegon then go to Dragonstone for a minute? What, just to, like, think by himself for a while?
2: Yeah.
1: Like, you know, would Rhaenys have said that? And maybe they really were forcing her into saying it. Would he? Why would he not have just flown to, Dor- to Dorne and decided to, to try to find her when because they said you could never find her? So there's... Any hole you could find with it, you could find an explanation for it, but I do think that there's very few other things. The only other things is if they said something like, we're going to hire the faceless men, and we're going to take out all your family, you know, whatever, they, they, maybe they have another threat. Faceless men, basically, or Rainy's alive. Those are my choices.
0: I, I, I tend to agree. There's, a, I'll, I'll throw a few other out. Um, one, there was a really good debate on our in our Facebook group, which, by the way, is, is a fun place to be. It's just uh, Facebook.com's History of Westeros some of the uh, group's um, search feature. And the idea was presented by Amin of a podcast of Ice and Fire that the uh, that the threat was that eggs were stolen. That they stole eggs and, and said, "Hey, we'll either do something with these. Either we'll have them, ha- we'll give them to someone who can hatch them, or we'll this will be that." The, I think the, it's an interesting idea because it would mean that Egon went there to check to say, "Hey, I want to verify if there's actually yeah. missing eggs." Now, yeah,
1: this is a good call from Wasser 30. That's what I just want to say. Egg, I think Aegon flew to Dragonstone to check on the baby. There was a coin from the Faceless Men on the crib that they, like, threatened children and, like, proved that they could do it. So he went to check. I, I, but I don't know that they would have been there right, on Dragonstone right then or if they would have been on King's Landing. But uh, it is an interesting idea.
0: Yeah, Ren- just to Aenys people, would have been about two or three years old.
1: Yeah, so I, well, whether if he was on Dragonstone, then yeah, he could have gone there to check on him and to see if this if they really could reach him there, and then
0: I have to check the timeline. I think yeah. Nagor may have just been born too. Mm.
1: So yeah, maybe they are all on Dragonstone, and maybe because my thought of why I asked if Visenya was in King's Landing was if he had if he wanted to fly to Dragonstone to ask for her opinion. On what he should do mm. um, is why I had originally asked, but I, I also am not sure uh, of if we know exactly where she is or where the two boys
0: are. I would think they would both be at the Red Keep, if you Aegon would think, was unless Megar
1: was just born and like well, she if, wanted to give birth. Well, but if Visenya was in you know. King's
0: Landing, then Megar would yeah. be there too.
1: That's what I'm saying is that if if Visenya is, I don't know that we know if Visenya is in King's Landing right. at that moment. She that's may that's have all. gone back to Dragonstone
0: to all. give birth. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. Well, so so further investigation is warranted yes. on that on that detail. Anyway, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that. The problem with the stolen egg theory maybe is that it doesn't necessar- it isn't necessarily it not necessarily enough reason enough. to stop him. Yeah, I don't from think continuing that's big enough. War. He a would just like, "No, nah, I'm coming for you and I'm going to take those eggs back." But
1: no, threatening to kill your only children or or his know, wife something being like that. Alive, yeah. Or his wife being alive, yeah. Cuz
0: cuz the point was raised that he would do something if he could because that was his beloved and he's also, you know, you know, a martial type. Uh, and they had already gone come down for revenge with uh, You know, with Visenya burning all, and and him burning all the castles with the possible exception of Sunspear. So that's pretty big. Um, And I, and this is an interesting mystery. I'm not sure it's relevant to A Song of Ice and Fire, except it, you know, if it has to do with egg hatching or faceless men, then it could have some, at least, indirect relation to at least how the faceless men operate. Um, The idea that a kingdom could pay to have a prince murdered based on what we know about Faceless Men, would be absurdly expensive. But doable. Definitely doable. So not, not out of the question. Just hella expensive. <laughs> okay, so another... Um, one thing that was new in the Conquest that was really cool, uh, only like a line or two, but it got me fired up because I'm already really excited about this possibility for the Winds of Winter, is that... There's a mention of uh, a battle between the Targaryen and Aaron fleets, which we had already heard about. But we didn't hear that the ba- in the world of Ice and Fire that the battle was so bloody that it brought yeah. hundreds of Krakens to yeah. the surface. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. I was doing the ring <laughs> like, yes, Krakens, blood, which is maybe a little bit of foreshadowing or re- reference to the Forsaken chapter. Or just mm-hmm. in general, there's been a lot of Kraken mentions out there, you know, here and there. So we've got uh, a different, couple of different possibilities there.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: so let's let's resolve our uh, parallel lives uh, question. So uh, some of you may have noticed um, the parallels there. Uh, the answer is well. Also, Jane Westerling. Yay, mm-hmm. Jane Westerling and Jane Westerling.
1: You know, the first three, you get there, and you, you've got Rhaena Targaryen, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: right, from the West. So I said not far from Rhaen, because she's in the West, and the name is Jane, J-E-Y-N-E. A little word play there for you, which you guys were used to for me. <laughs> I'm a word play kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Jane Westerling, who was one of the wives of Maegor, um, she... She died in childbirth, if I remember correctly. So she, which is better than what some of the brides of Magor had to suffer through. Sadly. Eleanor
1: Costain got out pretty well.
0: Eleanor and Reyna were the ones who lived through it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was Alice Haraway got the was the wor- had the worst of it. Oh yeah, she had way the worst of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's this really <laughs> funny line. I just I don't know. This isn't relevant to anything in particular. This is a really funny line where they're talking about um, one of the King's Guard was gonna. Cut the tongue out of uh, I forget who it was, this one woman, and slipped and, and accidentally killed her, and and it suggested that this maybe was just a story invented to further blacken Megor's name. I'm like,
2: how can you further
0: like this is like how can you make Megor's name any worse? Like that's like invented by his enemies. Like that guy's record stands on its own. It's like uh, yeah, it's like would be like saying that's like suggesting that that Hitler also. Didn't like pour milk and then added the cereal, mm-hmm. you know? You <laughs> can't really make him any worse.
1: You know, some, someone said something here. Um, I just want to mention um, Wasser30 says, yes, but Jahara is not a cool name. And I don't know why I made me think of this, but like, okay, we see Danny's nickname is Danny. Yeah. I wonder what some of the other Targaryen nicknames were. You know, yeah, like, we got a few like Jay and Luke. Like, yeah, we got those, but like Jaharis, did he would go by Jay. Jay Harris. <laughs> like, I just, you know, we have like Alysanne, I imagine some, like, some people call her Ally or yeah, something. Yeah, Allie, we've
0: seen that as for so, other like, ones, yeah. for other
1: people, it's just an interesting... No one would call her
0: Allie because she's but, the yeah, queen. Jahira, but yeah, for Jaharis, call her Hera. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Jahara, Just a- Hera. A- Harry. A- a,
1: like, some of them just can't think of a good nickname. But anyways, I'm going to have to think about that a little bit later and think of some good, they, funny nicknames. They could yeah, call Harry. Yes. Harry for King Harry. Harry's. He had yeah.
0: his braid all the way down to his, yeah, Harry, to his waist yeah. so he could be Harry. Harrys.
1: He did have very long hair. He it's did. true.
0: <laughs> and uh, then Ares, uh, Ares uh, the Mad King also had insane hair uh, because he was afraid of barbers and all that. And razors. Uh, yeah. Because he'd, be he'd be Harrys also. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah what do you call... Uh, Reina, yeah. just Ray. Oh, King May, May, uh, gore.
2: <laughs> just Gore. No, gore, Gore, Gore. For gore sure, gore yeah, he's, for sure it's he's gore. like, yeah, Gore. He's like, yeah, that, that fits. He's like, yes. yeah, I'm Gore. <laughs> it's not May Gore. It's Will Gore. <laughs> uh, yes.
0: <laughs> Definite Gore. <laughs> okay, we got about 15 minutes left before we wrap mm-hmm. it up. We'll keep these around two hours, as our usual, mm-hmm. as as our our wont.
1: Yeah. Let's go a little
0: farther in our document here.
1: Yeah. I think one thing people definitely have asked us about a lot is this Melanie Piper.
0: Okay. Reign friend. I friends, would like to talk about Melanie Piper. was
1: a warrior woman type person. You know, wore armor and fought and all that. Red haired.
0: Yeah. I, and
1: I- was one of her favorites, one of her friends. But this is something I wanted to clarify. Like... I had some people ask me about this, like, why would she keep them around after they were a favorite? Well, not all of her favorites had to be her lovers, you know, like, she could have had a thing for them and never to have really come to anything, and they could also have, like, m- multiple of them can be gay, and, like, maybe Melanie was with Sam Stokeworth, you know, like, it, it doesn't have to, uh, we don't know the full story there, but regardless, they-, they all seem to stay in very good terms with each other after the fact, um, except for Alyssa when she left.
0: Yeah. Um. But, um, yeah, but and the I, bigger
1: question with Melanie is whether there's a connection here with her and Melisandra, Melanie yeah. Lot 7. My
0: eyes my eyes shot up when I saw that name. It was like a redhead woman named Melanie. We have no other Melanies in the entire series except Melisandra. So that was huge. And I was thinking, like, I, I bet a lot of you, when you saw that name, were like, is that really, is that her? Is that Melisandre? Because it could have been, but no, we find, no, out, that we find yeah, out that she died. We find out that she died, dies, so and, it's very unlikely. Yeah,
1: she's red herring. A red herring. <laughs>
0: A red herring. Yeah, that's genius. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Something there,
1: but yeah, it literally is a red herring. Red
0: herring. herring. That's genius. Also, I just
1: want. This is not relevant to anything, but someone did ask me, and they seemed very whatever. um, Like they really ruckus of red, like really wanted to know how I get my hair a lighter red. And I just mix a bunch of colors together, so mm-hmm. I use um, Ion Color Brilliance, and I mix like five or six colors. So that's all I can tell you. Get Ion Color Brilliance.
0: Also, we have a, a, a big shiny light blasting yeah, at us. Yeah,
1: making it look <laughs> all nice and light. But um, I never know what co- what color to It always with. looks good though. But anyways, just had to tell you, especially since your name was of Red Lake.
0: <laughs> gotta get that red hair going. She's familiar with Silverwing. Wing. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: but no. Um, I did, uh, I, but uh, yeah, otherwise, even beyond w- w- Melanie, whether it could be her or whether she died, it just doesn't seem like the type of character that Melisandre is, the warrior and, you know. Yeah. It just does, there's not a lot of comparisons other than the name. This is but it ex- does tell us that, you know, Melanie is a name in Westeros and in the Riverlands. Yep.
0: So this I think a, that's more relevant. This is a good example of one of the things that was new in Sons of the Dragon, because this was in the Sons of the Dragon portion, but it was not in the Sons of the Dragon novella. All, same goes for a few extra descriptions of Dreamfire. We got a little more detail on what Dreamfire looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, we also got note that that Magor's second wife was a Valyrian ceremony, which I don't think we knew that. I don't. Visenya married them did the ceremony. Uh, I don't yeah. think we knew that.
1: We right? didn't know really at all that Rhaenys and Visenya did all those marriages at all. Like, they were really into that, marriage yes. By the way, anyone who plays CK2, Crusader Kings 2, or who watches Aziz play it, I and a lot of other people who play it are very into the marriage aspect of it. And so I really could relate to Alysanne, Rhaenys, and Visenya. Like, just doing marriages getting involved in all these families i'm <laughs> like yeah it's fun
0: yeah and <laughs> then forge
1: can, lifetime you know bonds
0: it's it's kind of like it's a thing that seems to have stopped like they the raines and vicenia arranged a lot of marriages alessandra arranged a lot of marriages and alessand was arranging marriages like lower level marriages too not just high lords and ladies she was arranging like for her The people with her, like her her ladies in waiting, well, those are mostly lords and uh, but still not like the highest, not
1: the highest of the high, not like all Lord Paramount, you know, level, but lower level people.
0: And that, and that to me is uh ties into the whole Grand Northern conspiracy and some of that, some of those thoughts. some, Some people think the grand one of the elements of the Grand Northern conspiracy is. The, the number of cross regional marriages was unusual. It was like the Riverlands married into the north and into the vale, whereas usually they would just marry inwardly. And the north married into this, where the north had previously not married outside of the north hardly at all. So, part of that, I think, is that I think this is addressing that in part to show that it wasn't mm-hmm. completely new, but that, but, but yes, it was an unusual amount of, of that that happened yeah. before Aries, uh, before Robert's rebellion. So, it kind of verifies that. By giving the context and showing that it was that it happened in spurts under certain queens.
1: Someone here, uh, well, Stanis Baratheon again actually asked if our opinion of Damon Targaryen improved, which is a good question because I actually think my opinion of him did slightly improve because um, of what we got of him and Nettles.
0: What was different? What did we get new? We just
1: didn't get like, a lot of, of his emotional reaction to Rhaenyra doing that and deciding to do that and like the mm-hmm. the relationship that him and Nettles had, which. I, I still am not like it seems like it was sexual but it also seems like it was kind of like a protective thing I don't know i I felt like he got more depth added to him and that he was betrayed and felt like well what did he have left to do but go fight Amond there because him and nettles were you know screwed they couldn't make a life together and that I think he actually cared about her yeah. that's what I got out of it um so I, I kind of did like him a little bit more I'm still a big fan of Damon though
0: yeah he's uh he he's he's certainly um an interesting character because he's one of those guys that if you're really judging him like from a moral perspective he's terrible but he's a really entertaining character mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like definitely the kind of guy you want on your side mm-hmm. like you do not want to be facing him you know so he's he's interesting i think for sure and and like we said earlier he is a very strong parallel for the red viper we'll lay out the specifics speaking
1: of parallels so I wanted to I wanted to pose a question to everyone um do you guys, who do you guys think, if anyone, Rogar Baratheon is a parallel to? Because Aziz and I have been thinking about it, and I'm not too sure. Um There's some, like, some story beats of his that I, I don't know. Not everyone has to have a parallel, but I couldn't help but wonder. I mean, he marries later in life, has another set of children with Alyssa, and has a lot of other... um milestone moments he was just a very major character and i really can't think of any characters that really remind me much of him
0: the closest is tywin but even tywin doesn't isn't a great ma- match like no. a, a high lord that had a lot of power but tywin never tried to mess with the marriages tywin never tried to like dominate aries he just tried to keep him from being terrible so yeah, yeah i don't even that doesn't even work that well uh yeah, uh, yeah, and like you said, there doesn't have to be a parallel, but usually there is, as we have found. Like if we go through the Targaryen family tree, there's a parallel for pretty much everyone, yeah, uh, so. with very few exceptions. So, uh, but this might be a uh, uh, sort of an exception because this is an, he's not a Targaryen, but Stannis
1: chimed in with Rogar as the man Robert Baratheon could have been. <laughs> of course, Stannis <laughs> had to chime in here. Uh, <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, that's funny
1: um someone else was asking about um Sarah Targaryen, you know, one of alistan's daughters and I do we have talked about this a good bit before, but I never get tired of um bringing up this comparison of, of Alian's daughters in because um, we have you know these 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 three daughters visera Sarah yeah and uh,
0: Magel, and the, Magel. The, they're like the three-headed. Sarah Dragon of, of the Illyrio Black Dragon Sarah. Conspiracy. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay, so.
1: Literally, Vesara has Sarah spelled like S- Illyrio's Sarah.
0: Right? And Sarah
1: is just said like it.
0: Sarah is said like it, and she's the. She, she ran goes, the brothel. Yeah, which is in Lease. In Lease. And remember, Illyrio's Sarah was, he says, he's supposedly found mm-hmm. in a brothel. And then Majel died of gray, the Great Plague. Yes, yes, exactly. Which is what killed. Illyrio's Sarah. So the three, those three characters, their stories combined, are a direct parallel to Illyrio's Sarah, who is possibly, mm-hmm. the probably the mother of young Griff, mm-hmm. who is of course a hidden Blackfire, uh, as is widely believed in the fandom and by both of us. Yeah. So.
1: So that's just an interesting thing. But on the subject, though, of um, these, you know, we they talk about. Um, Sarah and how wild she was, and obviously she ended up uh, just you know leaving and and were, you know ruling lease, basically as we find out. You know she did quite well, but um, I really liked a lot of the other tales of like girlhood rebellion that they had in there. <laughs> and we have obviously the very sad drunk driving, drunk drunk riding yes. incident, which like I, I did appreciate. Like it's really sad, but like I want to know the fun things that people get up to. It's not all. Just you know, day to day life. So, I sometimes people go out and get drunk and ride through the streets. Like, yeah, it
0: seems like that kind of thing could happen if you ride race through yeah. the streets drunk on a <laughs> horse, just like in a car. You're gonna, yeah. you're gonna have. A, so, I uh, was yeah. a little
1: thing we knew about before, but I, I, I appreciated seeing more about the context of of, of her going out and yeah. like pa- that she was out with a bunch of people. They were partying. But another Targaryen that we talked about already was Aria, You know. And she played a lot of pranks too
0: she did and was just,
1: I, I just like seeing that she wasn't as bad that. as
0: Sarah Sarah's pranks no, were awful I it. mean
1: her pranks were bad but like Aria was 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 maybe more extreme uh, funnier Sarah the like, like,
2: uh, Aria's the, the one
1: Aria, no Aria's the one who uh, who um, dyed all the cloaks pink <laughs> if you remember
0: ah, that's a good one
1: uh, wait no Sarah did no, uh, Sarah it. No, the was cl- uh, uh, yes Sarah did Sarah's the, the one okay. who did them all pink, she did the
0: bees too and the bees
1: yes <laughs> Uh, but we, get, we just see some few different wilds. Like, Bela's pretty wild, too, herself, yeah. actually.
0: Sarah's the cruel um, prankster. She Al- also, Alyssa
1: was pretty wild in her day, too, and talking about riding. True. Like, I love to ride a dragon, and I can ride you.
0: Alyssa's you know. story is kind of sad, yeah. Yeah,
1: no, I was actually pretty disappointed that she was one of the ones who died in childbirth, just because she was, like, very strong.
0: Yeah, I think she maybe got a little bit shorted on her story. Yeah, like, maybe, like, she was,
1: like, a fighter. Like, like she was a strong, you yeah. know, not, like, she wasn't weak, like, sickly.
0: Mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, yeah, I agree. But, uh, yeah, maybe we'll uh, maybe she'll pop up somewhere elsewhere. A little more history mm-hmm. could, could always come up. Okay, let's look for maybe one or two more questions, and then we'll call it a night. Yeah. And we have, we're have, we just scratching the surface on this book, folks. There's so, so much else for us to cover, as most of you mm-hmm. probably know already. Next week, as I said, we're going to cover some higher mystery stuff. We're going to talk about dragon babies. We're going to talk about Aurea and Balerion. We're going to talk about um, the possibility mm-hmm. that Aegon the Conqueror was infertile and that relates to magic because of Magor may have there may be a little black magic involved with Magor mm-hmm. and his not dying. <laughs> uh we'll talk about um related things to those characters as far as that goes. We'll talk about Alice Rivers and I'm sure there's plenty of other things that I can't mm-hmm. think of off the top of my head. So m- grab us one more question, why don't you?
1: Um so- Hairless Oyster, who also wanted to say their name. It's a very <laughs> sexual-sounding name to me. Um, do you see any comparisons between Larius the Clubfoot and Varius the Spider? I do. I do too. Absolutely. How can you not? I mean, he's yeah. just everywhere, all at once, and you never know exactly what side he's on for so long.
0: Playing both sides, yeah. he has kind of a you know a, a physical affliction. Actually,
1: yeah, an impediment of some sort. Yeah, you know? and the yeah. name
0: obviously Larius Varus. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. like
1: a yeah, Can't exactly. Can't miss that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that was not. So so subtle, I suppose. Really, the name thing.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm not prepared to give like super detailed comparison between the two, but yes, it's, and, and and I like that's one of the things that we got more of. We more, there's of, more of him in in I the know, dance.
1: I can't the exact, same, but I feel like we got a little bit of Larry's kind of, of protecting younger younger folk. We kind did. Of Like Varys. Well,
0: and he protected the he, he hid the king, and uh, and protected him yeah. while he was recovering, which is yeah. a little similar to to is hiding Fagon mm-hmm. a little bit, you mm-hmm. know. Sort of. Um, so mm-hmm. that's uh, yeah, it's something we'll have to discuss in further detail later. But yes, we definitely agree, and I think it goes beyond uh, what we've said so far. There's more what to it than, than just tracking,
1: this. And just kill it with the questions you ask. What enrolled book would you want published? That's a great question. The Jade I mean, Compendium. If if J comes Compendium. Comes to yeah, that would be a good Death one. Of yeah, you would want the Septon book.
0: Dragons. I winners, really, I yeah. would
1: like to read a caution for young girls. <laughs> I want myself a sordid tale. Um, no, maybe not my real answer, but it's uh, I, I. am very interested in that yeah, one it's in on particular. The list. Maybe um, if one. I could, <laughs> if I could get all the different like versions of it, you know, of, of a caution for young girls, maybe. <laughs> but I do like that one I I, I mentioned earlier by Archmaester Avalon. Um, the Women of the Aftermath book. I would be After the Dance of the Dragons. But no, I think I would go with a long, spanning, like, comp- Jade Compendium type thing. The, cool. the biggest yeah. book I could get.
0: <laughs> the biggest, the largest one. A uh, ponderous tome. It wouldn't be so ponderous. No. Uh, <laughs> it would be awesome. We got
1: a super chat here from Lajara Dane. says, Thank you, Ashaya, for all the multitasking. because these keep up the good work, too, as always. Y'all are a great team.
0: Thank you, thank you. Thank you. you. We appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so. I see other
1: people agreeing. They want a smutty book, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, certainly we welcome feedback as we're entering this new weekly series. If you guys have suggestions for how we handle questions or how we handle the timeline or just how we're handling just about anything, let us know. We're always open to suggestions. As anyone who's been following our show for a while knows that we like to mix it up and tweak things and, and try to see what works and, and uh, don't get stuck doing the same thing every time. So... Let us know what y'all think. Yes, Getting LML, your questions ready. We will
1: be having guests, and you you will be a guest. Uh, we haven't asked you, but you will be a guest. We're going to now. guests. Yeah. Um, definitely, like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Lady Gwen is lined up to be in it for sure, and we have a long list of people to invite. And many months before the next yeah, next gonna, season to get all these guests on.
0: That's right. We're going to be doing, like I said, we're going to be doing this at least until season eight, which is April. So that's quite a while. It's like f- f- more than four months, and we're gonna be. Including, we'll so have a lot of time for guests. And yeah, LML is going to be one of them. We'll have pretty much anyone we've had in the past is, is not unlikely to return, but we'll also be bringing in some new faces, people mm-hmm. that we've guested with that we haven't brought on our show yet.
1: Like Eliana and Chloe. I see Eliana there in the chat. Yeah, we'll definitely example. have Eliana
0: on. No question. But
1: no Chloe. You didn't even address that.
2: <laughs> no Chloe. No way. No,
0: we'll definitely have Chloe also, but she's not in the chat, so she doesn't have to. <laughs> she, doesn't, she gets to come on second. Eliana gets to be first. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so we'll, Pretty much if you have if you have guests you want to see definitely let us know Um, we can make that happen
1: Better if you leave them in the comments for this video rather than in the chat here because the chat will disappear over time.
0: Yeah, although they do at least do chat replays now when you watch the video. But but still, we're not going to watch all the chat. We can't go back and look at all that. (laughs) (laughs) Pellianas
1: are so offended. Yeah, I know. I I had to call these out for that. It
0: wasn't me. Don't tell Chloe.
1: It wasn't me, okay?
0: Don't tell her. Tell Um, her to only watch the first hour and 50 minutes of this. Tell her to stop before the last 10 minutes. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) Okay, everybody. Valar re Well, Valar re in this case. Yeah, uh, or get Valar re I'm on or my be second listen-us.
1: read. Or Aziz is not on his second read. He's on his whatever listen-through. No, I'm on, my,
0: I'm on my second read and my third listen. That's
1: what, that's what I'm saying. Oh, you're right. You're I'm not sorry. on your... your, your you, I
0: misspoke. You were You read
1: correct. it more times than that, technically. Yeah,
0: yeah and the, 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 it's interesting that, you know, reading is, is better for me personally, but... I catch things because of like, in, like the way he imp- yeah. pronounces certain things, you know, the bean joke, for example. <laughs> Real
1: quick, X asked if we could put a chat window into the live stream. And that is something that we have the ability to do. I've never done it just because it encourages people, I think, to be incendiary or try to troll or something and get their mm. their, their terrible comment on the stream. So like maybe with a delay, I, I have thought about that. And um, other people maybe have more experience with it and could tell me. But I feel like it just encourages people to try to get attention like that. So, anyways, that's we'll, my we'll, thought on yeah, that. We'll you chime it. in if you if you have thoughts on that. Just wanted to bring that up because we've we'll, thought about it before.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we have we have had you know in, in last season during the TV show we had someone go to great efforts to try to spoil people.
1: Yeah, and there, during TV season, 100, percent we will not have it on the stream on the screen. But now it's a little more possible. Um, oh
0: again. yeah, and I'm gonna be on Between Two Warewoods uh, soon. LML show. Uh, is it this week or the week after? I forget when we're doing that. But yeah, I guess we don't have a we don't have a, a date yet. But it's, we're going to be talking about um, some really cool parallels to this story, uh, uh, "Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn." There's some really neat. Uh, it's, it's a huge influence on a "Song of Ice and you Fire." This Sunday. Oh, it is this Sunday. Okay, cool. Okay. Excellent. This Sunday, that is the sixteenth, uh, right? Yeah, the sixteenth. So mm-hmm. that's uh, three o'clock Eastern Standard Time the 16th and if you miss it you can always catch the replay so yeah um i'll be there and so will lml hey who's, who else do we have coming is that do we have gray area and uh bookshelf stud is that right we'll i hope i second. hope that's right so yeah, if, if, if it's if it's wrong well you guys will find out so anyway mm-hmm. thanks everybody on behalf of Ashea and all of our fellow westorians we'll see you I next i can say Tuesday.
1: goodbye myself aziz goodbye right. everyone <laughs> okay thanks for letting me talk for once goodbye <laughs> And we're back with the Patreon credits. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot the Patreon around. credits, so anyone who's still I here. I got it. Good, I've, I've got your back, <laughs> everyone.
0: <laughs> so we have, I want to shout out to Lord Mark of House Joseph, the Snow and Winterfell, writer of Maslow Cartho, the white dragon with green scales, horns, wings, and talons, forever in our memory. Uh, peers of the realm include the mysterious BR, Hand of the King. We have the Smiling Wolf, Lord Stephen Stark of the Broken Tower, soldier, scholar, philosopher, diplomat, Hand of, the, of Queen who who is known as the best. Lazy, lazy. <laughs> Sorry, Lady Suzanne Sinistral, <laughs> the learned. <laughs> Damn it! What a, what a, what a tongue twister oh, that, that one.
2: Asks post-credit
1: scene. What will the next Marvel movie be? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is this oh, post-credit scene work. worth staying for? Yes. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Try that again. I'm- my, my tongue, my, my mistakes maybe are worth it. Just, yeah. but, so. <laughs> Lady Suzanne Sinistral, the learned, holder of the left-handed Valyrian shears called Penance and Hand of the Beard. Lord Jim the Fortuitous of Wars and Politics of Ice and Fire blog and Warden of the West, also the host of the Two Age War podcast. Lord George Stormsville the Cunning is Lord of the Chiliad and Warden of the East. Cabethian Frozen is Lord of the Bricks and Castle Crimson Light, defender of the old gods and Warden of the North. Lady Kelly McMath of Covington is the Lady of Villa Hills and Crescent Springs and Warden of the South. Lord James Tuttle is King of the Stepstones and the Narrow Sea, commander of the Royal Fleet consisting of the Narrow Fleet led by flagship Caraxes and the Bloodstone Fleet led by flagship Prince Damon. Charlotte Oster is the Corsair Queen of the Western Shivering Sea, commander of the Briny Fleet whose flagship is the barnacle-encrusted Violet-Hulled Mercenaria. She carries the Nacre-inlaid shucking-blade crass-lover. Our small council includes Lord James Inkblade, the Scholar Knight, Master of Whispers, Lord Robert Jacobs, Master of Coin, Lord Daniel, the Sneaky Russian, Master of Ships, Lord, uh, Lord Benjamin of House Hornwood, Master of Laws, and Grand Maester uh, via James. We have Lady Direliz of Castle Nocky, the Alpha Patron, we have Lord Dan of the Red Mountains and Castle Great Bell, Breaker of the Second Stone, we have share returning to the camera with Xerxes, the Blue Eyed Kitty. We have Lord Skip of the Velt, Lord of Castle Ganges. We have Gregor the Toasty, Lord of the Breadford. Alicia Everlasting is of the Greenblood, Lady of the Desert Rose. Lord Ryan is of Castle Stonegate, Guardian of the Rocky Mountain Pass. Lord Garin de Havilland is of Devil's Hand Keep. Ashlyn Winter is the Hawke's Eye, Lady of Castle Skyfall. Lady Mikkel of Moonacre is leader of the Werewood Protectorate Alliance. Lord of the Halls of Castle Hillcrest is the wielder of the Valyrian steel machete Everglazed. Lord Alistair Whittaker is Lord of the Dawnhold. Lord Bemi Snugglebunny is Guardian of the Hidden Hundred Acre Weirwood, Dual-Wielding Glorious Morning and Little Lightwise. Brian the Defender is Lord of the Spearfort and the Freelands, last Scion of Clan McCulloch. Strength and Courage. The Bastard of the Wolfswood is First Forester of the Old Gods, Sworn to House Iron Werewood. Listen for the silence. Connor the Dungeon Master is Lord of Catamount Keep and Guardian of the Smoky Mountain Pash. Lady Baelish is Dark Widow of Hall. Lord Sidney Jesse is the Fallborn, Lord of Bluespring. Nevessa the Twin Hearted, a suspected skin changer, is holder of Castle Carahel. Sir Valentin of House to Gen is creator of the Game of Predictions, free Game of Thrones Predictions and Futures Market. Lady Leona Kelly of Wolf Island is Protectress of the Steelhold. Kate Casey Stark is House is of House Acres. Lady Kay of House Archer is Lady of Earth Dog Hall, Huntress of the Wolfswood, and Guardian of Maddie Squirrel's Bane, the Mighty oh, wow. Our first sword is Jeff Gnarly the Long Snapper. Didn't I did I not do him at the beginning? I was supposed to. Oh well. I don't I don't know if I did. I think I, did I may have forgotten. Did. Whoops, sorry Jeff. Get you next time. <laughs> Sir King's Justice Sir Troy the Steady is wielder of the Valerian Steel Blade Fate. Oh, here's your Queen's High Council.
1: Yes, Lady my Emerald Eyes, Voice of House Swan, Mistress of Whispers, Rebea Star Eyes, Lady of Waves, and Mistress of Ships, Captain of the Iron Shadow Cat. In the shadows we bear our claws. He bears his claws too. Xerxes here. Um, Grand Maester Elizabeth, middle daughter of Lyanna Mormont, first lady to forge both the silver and Valyrian steel link. And right now, there's no master of coin or master of laws. It's a lawless
2: land here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: our our King's Guard has some open spots as well, but we have Sir Dolorus Dee, the longest tenured of our White Swords. Willa Crowsbane, guardian of White Tree, first lady of the Free Folk, and Sir Dean the White, knight of the Black Star. And we also have the Queen's Guard.
1: Hmm, yes, um, got distracted by my cute cat, sorry. <laughs> Lord Captain Commander Hama Helmint, the self-sword sentinel. Lady Nymeria of House Sea Wanna give us a purse, Xerxes? No.
2: Okay. <laughs> Alexander
1: of House Atreides from the Seat of Dune, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Becca the Bard, Songbird of the North. Michonne the Melodious, Starved Old Town, Mines Over Masters. Sarah Rambo, Knight of House Ganon, First Blood. And Sir Leon of House Walker, wielder of the twin Valyrian steel blades, Fire and Ice, and the Werewood bow, Rain.
0: He is well equipped. Fire, Ice, and Rain. He is well, well equipped. Mm-hmm. The uh, Beard Guard includes Lord Commander George the Golden, Sir Joshua Oakhart the White Oak, Lady Rita of the Copper Main, the Unbound, Dance the Fervor, mm-hmm. Sir Jeff, Warden of the AC, wielder of Triad, the multifaceted Beard of Platinum, Red and Brown, Stay Frosty, and Sir Tim Corgyle, Mad Boy of the Western Desert. Also want to give a shout out to Sir Terence, Knight of the Cedars, who is our most prolific non-patron donator. Thank you very much, Sir Terence. As well as our History of Westeros Knight's Watch, which is hiding from me at the moment. Here we go. Lord Commander Benjen Umber leads it with, he is the silent giant, wielder of the Valyrian steel greatsword Winter's Kiss. And he is backed up by First Ranger, Four Feathers, fastest bow in the watch. First builder Megor Snow, aka Megor the Cool, the Fire in the Snow, and first steward Sir Jurion of the Torrentine, called Palewind. Last but not least. Okay, now we're really done this time, and I'm gonna have yeah. to get back in the habit of, of doing the patron credits at the end of every weekly episode. That's oh as yeah,
1: we're used to when we record separately. You know, he can uh, just record it instead of doing it live. Yeah,
0: we avoid my mistakes that way. Although I did pretty good, besides calling Suzanne lazy by accident. Yeah,
1: lazy Sue. Yeah. What would be la- lazy Sudan?
0: Lazy, lazy Susan. Here lazy Sudan. The black-eyed Maybe pea of Sudan. Sudan. Lazy Sudan. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, um. Sorry for that.
0: Yeah. But, but yeah,
1: Whoops. we got we got a cat in there. I looked all around, and Xerxes was was sleeping, and he was able to, to stay here for a minute.
2: So
0: now we so yeah, know.
1: We're good. Okay. Now we can say goodbye again, right?
0: Yes. Okay. Valar re goodbye us. Bye.